For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg! Good morning, Manitoba! For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The day after, the night before, because technically it was Friday morning, we are still talking about the Winnipeg Jets, the way their season ended, and of course, the electric Rick bonus comments that have set tongues ablazing and blown minds from coast to coast to coast and all throughout the hockey world. Yes, Kenny's water bottle, I am disappointed and disgusted with the tardiness and the lack of attention to clock detail demonstrated by Dave and Ezra. I'm always here on time, folks. If you know anything about me, it is that I am a prompt individual my esteemed colleagues are unfortunately not as dedicated to the craft of clock watching as i am but nonetheless i will forgive them for their malfeasance and carry on with this morning's program and say good morning to them both despite the burning rage i was feeling as i was waiting for them good morning boys good morning to everyone watching right now or possibly listening on the podcast it's like a flashback to my grade 12 year, 2000, uh, English, I got a, a phone call with like a month left in school saying that like if I was late two more times, I was going to fail grade 12 English. And grade 12 English, Drew, was my best subject. Um, so obviously, you know, I, I was uh, late back in grade 12 20 years ago, and I'm, I'm still late. That was all my fault. Uh, just really excited. I mean, we have so much to talk about today. Obviously, you know, Jets fans are fired up. There's, you know, a, a lot of answers that are needed because it's another disappointing end to the season right boys so it's going to be fun to get into it and i'm sure we're going to be talking about this for you know the next several weeks we got the nhl draft not too far away but uh yeah there's going to be lots of questions in terms of uh how big the changes are going to be in the offseason for the Jets. They're going to be significant. I, I sort of like the idea that's coming up in the chat that we should institute some sort of a legal curve kangaroo court, you know, where, where we just arbitrarily start fining uh, one another for uh, for the misdeeds that we do during the course of our programs. The only problem with that is calling it a kangaroo court is insulting to kangaroos because I think we need to, uh, we'd have to get smarter to get to the kangaroo status of things. But uh, nonetheless, have you guys ever seen kangaroos fight? Like when kangaroos yeah fight they're vicious oh, like, yeah. like we're like we're growing up like obviously we don't have kangaroos in manitoba we have um, yeah, kangaroos we have at to... the zoo are there kangaroos at the zoo yes there's that whole oh. sort of australian uh outback sort of exhibit uh at the zoo well i wouldn't know drew because they keep me locked in my cage so i don't really <laughs> i don't get to see the other animals so i usually just stay with the other silverback gorillas um, but you know, growing up, you know, you, you kind of have this vision of, of kangaroos and koalas, but like when ca- kangaroos, they, they have, the, they like do those whip kicks. Like they're, they're vicious, uh, marsupials. Thank you, Mr. Ginsburg. Dave M. Speaking of vicious marsupials, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not going to say I was tardy to the party because of Ezzy, but you know, I was, I was waiting for the big man to get here. Uh, yeah, no, it is a, um, there's some. The joy is no longer in Joyland, of course, and you know we've been wondering what 
the sobering second thoughts are going to sound like. Just so folks are aware, I don't think Rick Bonus and Kevin Sheveldayoff are speaking today. I believe it'll just be the players speaking uh, today. It'll be players. Hey, Bones said enough. He doesn't need to speak. We already oh. we already heard plenty from Bones. We, yeah. it, that was that, walk those back. That, I was going to say that. Well, no, I mean, I don't think he will walk those back. I don't think he needs to be honest. I don't think he needs to walk those back. But no. but we'll get into that more, and obviously throughout the course of this of this morning. But ultimately, I think that you know, there's uh, you'll you'll hear from him either tomorrow or Monday, maybe. And you're going to hear from the players. And and I think the players to a man will say that they didn't perform well enough. And I mean, you, it's hard to argue, right? I mean, you guys were in first place for a, you know, a portion or you were challenging for first place. And then you had the slide of all slides, which would have been, had they not made the playoffs, a historic slide out of the playoffs would have been like the first team in NHL history to have had such a precipitous drop in the, from the standings. And so, yeah, these guys, as a team, as a collective group, not individually, I'm not blaming one person and saying, well, it's on that person alone. This is a collective. And to be honest with you, Rick Bonus shares the blame. I mean, Rick Bonus is the one who chose to play Nikolai Ehlers, you know, sometimes six or seven most minutes in a game. So Rick Bonus is not like somehow because he got angry for a minute at the end of the season, somehow immune to criticism for the way this jet season went. I would agree with that. I mean, he, he, so there are certainly, there's definitely aspects of, of Rick Bonus's coaching that, uh, you know, were contributed to this. And so he doesn't get off scoff free for, for the, you know, for how the team was coached. But I think, it, you know, it, it goes beyond coaching at this point in time. It's just about the pride factor and the professional pride. And, Whatever you want to say about Rick Bonus as a coach, I don't think you can deny that he absolutely, you know, gave a damn night in and night out behind the bench for the Winnipeg Jets. That's where the issue arises. I mean, there's there's issues with the tactical approach, no question. Uh, you know, and that's Rick Bonus's coaching style. And you know, is it uh, the appropriate coaching style for 2023? Well, you know that that that's up for debate, and, and certainly there's an argument to be made that maybe his coaching left a little bit to be desired. But I, I don't think this has to do with tactics. I don't think the problems with this team, as he, are tactically related. They are related to the 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 give a damn factor that was just not on display. The the give a damn factor was too damn low last night, and too damn low against in games against lesser competition throughout the course of the latter half of this season. I mean, you win some of those games that are just inexcusable to lose. You know, you can lose one of those games. You can lose once to San Jose. You can lose once to Columbus. You know, things happen, you know, you know, bad games, you know, can come about. But the number of winnable games that the Jets just passed on winning, in, you know, from January 19th, so you take January 19th until March 28th. March 28th was the loss in San Jose, the 3-0 loss at the end of that road trip. And then they came home and they played better on that homestand to end the season. But in which, that which obviously coincided with Shifley being moved to the wing on, on, on a line with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor, right? Exactly right. But you know, the, the two months preceding that, two months plus a week preceding that, the Jets were one of the worst teams in the league. And you just can't have that happen. There has to be the pride that says we can't continue this slide. We can't continue to perform in the manner in which we did. And you just never saw that. And that's, of course, what Rick Bonus was alluding to uh, in his fiery post-game comments after game five, as he. Yeah, first off, I agree with your premise and everything that you said there, right? Like, 
the five game series loss to Vegas was was not an outlier. You just mentioned it. Like there was a two month stretch there in the second half of the season where the Jets were not 500, they were below 500. Yes. And, you know, it's really tough to make the playoffs. Like that was the narrative with a couple weeks left in the season, right? Like are the Jets going to be, you know, the, what was it? The, the worst, it was the worst fall from first place in a division to out of a playoff spot. We know that the Jets didn't fall out of a playoff spot because they won, what was it? Seven of their last nine or whatever it was. They had a really good last couple of weeks of the season led by Connor Hellebuck and, and Adam Lowry and Josh Morrissey. But I think the Rick bonus bonus comments, it wasn't so much that it was surprising what he says, what he said, it was how he said it. Right. And you mentioned, you know, when, when Rick bonus, you know, referenced, you know, like this is similar to what was happening in February or March. I think that's what's stuck in people's mind. And it was, that was genuine, right? Like Rick bonus was not happy after game five. And why would he be like, if I'm a Jets fan, I, I'm not upset with what he said. I think you're just surprised because you would have been used to in previous years, the kind of cliche speak from Paul Maurice, where he would say, well, we were really missing Josh Morrissey and Mark Shifley. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just lost to a better team. So I think that, you know, right now where the Jets sit, I, I don't think anybody really knows, you know, the direction of this team. And that's the big issue, right? And we talked about it after game five on the post game show. And, you know, you pick up the Winnipeg Sun, I've got it right here. You know, Scotty Billick, our good friend, his column, it says new vision required, right? And that's kind of what we're all waiting to, to hear because I think it's not a question of if there's going to be changes, Dave, I think it's how big are those changes going to be? And, it, you know, are players like Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers potentially going to be moved? And again, I'm not advocating for that, mm -hmm. but I think at this point, you know, there's more on the table than there was last year, right? Like last year, the questions really centered around Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, and you know, those questions and the uncertainty, uncertainty surrounding those players, Dave, that still exists. But I think, you know, people are starting to wonder, like, what's Connor Hellebuck's future after next year, right? Like, I, I mentioned it on Thursday's show. Like, mm -hmm. I'm all in favor of, you know, Hellebuck being part of a rebuild. But you wonder, like, are you going to commit $9, $10 million a year to a goaltender when, you know, you might have some lean years ahead of you? So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what the direction is. I don't know if that's going to be articulated to us because I don't think Chevy, you know, when he speaks, he's going to say, yep, we're going to make big moves. Dubois's gone. Shifley's gone. Uh, <laughs> that would you know, be out of Wheeler, Wheeler's gone. That, like, that's never going to happen. Well, how, about, how about Chevy's gone? I mean, how about Chevy's gone? The architect of this all. Well, I mean, Drew. I mean, just just to follow, just to interrupt you. Yeah. But I mean, it, I mean, I think it's notable that they're not speak. He is not expected to speak today. So I mean, perhaps the the management, the or the ownership is evaluating things right now. And I mean, because if you think about it, there he could speak today. Generally speaking, I believe, and I'd have to go back and look at my old end of season media availabilities. But I, you know, think that. And look, I'm not suggesting it's going to happen. I don't think it actually will. But and I and the reason I say that is and, and I think there's a lot of value in listening to what folks who are connected to the organizations are saying, because, um, you know, John Shannon was on yesterday with Global and he was kind of sharing his end of season, uh, you know, thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets, the postmortem as I as I had on IllegalCurve.com about 17 times yesterday, because that was what everybody was doing, whether it was the Jeff Merrick show, whether it was the 32 Thoughts podcast, whether it was Ray and Dregs. And like I said, go to illegalcurve.com. You can hear all of their commentary. But a lot of the, the things I listened for was what was their the general tenor. Look, people can not like insiders and not like whatever, but the reality is, generally speaking, these guys are fairly tied into 
organizations. John Shannon tied into the organization, you know, has a texting relationship with Kevin Shovel Day off. Darren Dreger, the same. So generally speaking, these guys have a fairly good indication as to what is going on inside. Not always. And it's not that they always have the inside scoop, but usually you can kind of get a sense. And like I said, from the way John Shannon spoke, he said, well, you know, we're going to, I would imagine that ownership is going to want to take a step back. So I would not expect anything immediate, but I just think that they'll, you know, take their time and evaluate this the way they need to and say, look, you've had 12 years of Kevin Shevel day off at the helm of this ship and he's been guiding it. And, you know, you can see the drafting has been good and that there's been other elements, you know, whether some of the contracts he signed or whether some of the trades he's made with all the quote limit Winnipeg limitations, but ultimately you have to evaluate the success on the ice, right? It's, you know, what, what's the expression that you are, what your record says you are. And so that's ultimately what this is, right? It's not about, Oh, well, you know, you put a competitive team on the ice every year and you just fail, you know, to, to click and get past, you know, X, Y, or Z. Ultimately you want to win a Stanley cup, but at the same time, 31 other teams are going to be saying the exact same thing as Kevin Shevelday off in the Winnipeg Jets. I think the worst thing, sorry, Drew, I just wanted to quickly say, hope I'll keep this quick. I think the worst case scenario right now for Jets, you know, ownership and management is to think that, you know, if Josh Morrissey and Mark Shifley and Nikola Ehlers were healthy, you know, we could have really gone on a run here because I I don't think anybody that has watched the Jets this year thinks that. Could they have beat the Golden Knights in the first round? Absolutely. Does anybody really think that the Jets were going to go on a long playoff run? Like, I thought they maybe could win a round, and then I thought, okay, you play the Oilers in the second round? Yeah. I mean, not, they haven't been, you know, world beaters, I guess, in the, in the first round, but um, I think that would be the worst thing for the Jets. I think there needs to be a realization that the current core of this team is not good enough, and you have to make moves. I've said this so many times. The Jets need a bonafide number two defenseman behind Josh Morrissey. Morrissey, I think, you know, players like Dylan DeMello and Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, Dylan Sandberg, like, they have a lot of good defensemen, um, but I think, you know, uh, this team would look uh, really good if you brought in, uh, you know, a Matthias Ekholm, for example, right? So I think the worst thing right now would the, would – the jet for the jets would be to think that you know this core and this current group you know really could have done more and only needs a tweak here or a tweak there because well, you know who doesn't major believe changes that. are needed you know who doesn't believe that as evidenced by his comments is obviously rick bonus i mean rick bonus obviously believes and knows that the core or the you know is rotten and as he is somebody who's frequently eaten rotten apples, you know better than anyone that that doesn't taste good. You know, so when Rick Bonus comes out and he absolutely could have downplayed the end of season result. Yes, we're injured. Yes, this. Yes, that. And it, but he was honest. And, you know, obviously nobody ever wants to, this is what happens. This is why players and coaches and general managers usually don't speak honestly, because this is the ramifications of when they do. Rick Bonus clearly knows and clearly believes that this team and its key members as currently constructed aren't going to go anywhere. And if anybody, and this is now almost two years in a row, if not longer, where that truth has been spoken into existence. Last year, it was from the players. It was from Paul Maurice when he quit. You can read the subtext through that of him knowing that it's not good enough. You can read the last year's, you know, Paul Stasny's comments at the end of season media availabilities last season. By the way, Paul Stasny scoring the OT winner last night for the Carolina Hurricanes. There's there's definitely some poetry going on with that. But Paul Stasny's comments, you know, right now look 
completely different in a new in a in a new uh in the in the new light. You know, he was saying the same thing. Rick Bonus is saying the same thing. It's incumbent on Mark Chipman and the leadership, and if that includes Kevin Shevel Dayoff or not, I still think it does. Not that it should, but I don't see the Jets, you know, I don't see it would be out of character for Mark Chipman to realize and acknowledge what everyone else is is saying and, and believes. And that would be that there needs to be a new captain at the helm of this organization. But if they continue to not listen to these hockey experts, you know, the, then I mean, then where where is this franchise going? And that's the problem. It's year after year after year now, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Now, people are telling you what you have is not good enough. What you have is not working. And the Jets thus far have continued to have refused to listen to the truth that are being spoken into existence. The only problem with those truths is you're you're depreciating the value of the assets. So I mean, it's That's you know fair. I can under I can understand the, the 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 disappointment perhaps with management and ownership if they say, well, you've just basically turned our uh, our uh, Lamborghini into a Pinto based on the fact that you've just said these guys basically they're the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever did suck and. Uh, for some uh, real good Simpsons analysis. Yeah. But I mean, look, I mean, you're, you're not wrong, Drew. I mean, ultimately this group was given a chance, you know, the bombers run it back and the bombers ran it back and they had success because they ran it back. The jets. The biggest difference to... being the bombers have two great cups and the jets have nothing. They do. They do. <laughs> good point as, but the, the fact of the matter is that Kevin shovel, said, I expect to be able to, I mean, we saw the comments from his, his end mid season, during the trade deadline media availability where he said, I just feel this, I feel this organization as currently constructed with a few tweaks, i.e. Nino Niederreiter and Vlad Nemestikov, who everyone would agree were good additions to the organization, um, you know, can be a Stanley Cup contender. Those were his words. And you obviously felt like last year he had some bad luck and it was, you know, things, there was a malaise and, and that he wanted to give this group another opportunity. Well, he's given the group another opportunity and he looked like a genius. He did look like a genius because Everything, even if you want to say the underlying metrics weren't great, the fact of the matter is in January, they were in the first place in the Western Conference. You don't have, you don't, you, like, if this is October and you say, well, they're first place in the Western Conference, you look like an idiot because there's three games. But by January, there's enough of a sample size to say, okay, that's, this team is performing. Now you could say it's performing largely as it has done for years on the back of Connor Hellebuck. But again, lots of times teams perform well based on their goaltender and they don't have to apologize for it. That's just the reality. And sometimes when you have a $10 million or whatever the goaltender's value is, you know, I'm talking about the actual value, not the his value of his contract. But if you have a value of a, a goaltender who's performing at a high level, again, teams, that's just the reality of teams. You don't have to apologize for what you do. But it also means there might be limitations in other elements of your game that could, you know, become uh, evident. And and again, part of that was, you know, on Kevin Sheveldayoff for going and not qualifying Eric Comrie. And instead you got David Riddich who was terrible down the stretch. And so what did they do? They ran Connor Hellebuck 13 straight games. And he can talk about how he wants to play every game. And like, it's weird as, because you know, you were a huge Marty Berger fan. He'd play, you know, 82 games if he could have. And sometimes he almost did. But the fact of the matter is that you need to be able to get these guys some rest. And the Jets put themselves into a position where they couldn't do that anymore, right? Because they had to run Connor Hellebuck because they didn't have the faith in Riddich and they needed to win those games. And so... Connor Hellebuck wasn't sharp. The team wasn't sharp. 
And yeah, ultimately this team did this to themselves because of the poor performance starting in January, continuing into February until they realized, oh shit, we got to, we got to drag this out again because otherwise we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be the team that everyone talks about that went from here and ended up down here. And then ultimately you have to blow it up. So yeah, I mean, look, and I think Drew to your, the point you're making, and I agree, I think the fact of the matter is that regardless of the outcome, obviously aside from like a potential Stanley cup, you know, finals appearance, right. That you were going to have to do this regardless of if they got to the second round or even possibly the third round. And it's going to be an interesting balancing act because you, as you can't diminish the fact that Josh Morrissey is your best defenseman and you lost him. You can't diminish the fact that Mark Scheifele is a 42 goal scorer and you lost him. But at the same time, you were already somewhat, not necessarily after that game one performance, you, the big thing for me was this team saw, you saw Vegas adjust. Vegas adjusted in game two. Mm -hmm. So if you're the Jets, you expect Vegas to adjust and then you have to adjust to their adjustments, especially with home ice advantage. Jets weren't able to necessarily do that. Of course, they had to, you know, perform the way they did in game three and they had to force their way back into it. But I just don't think that it was a, you know, the writing was on the wall for this team. And it's, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see ultimately which way they choose to go. But I, I do wonder though, a little bit about how you diminish the value because you're basically saying these horses don't have the drive. Now, maybe you're saying these horses don't have the drive like a Mark Stone to drag someone into the fight and say, you're coming along with me, but they could always be complimentary pieces. Well, that just seems to be it. There's that there's nobody, uh, you talk about horses. I mean, these players, you know, the, the ones who are getting paid the most money on this Jets team, and I'm mm -hmm. excluding Blake Wheeler from, from the vast majority of this conversation because he just doesn't have the, the you know, at his point in his career, he can't drag players along anymore like he could when he was when he was younger. But, you know. And, and we also, sorry, Drew, was just going to say, we were talking about it on Thursday night's postgame show after game five. Wheeler was arguably like one of the Jets' best three players. forwards in the series, right? So no, nobody's pointing the finger at Wheeler for the way he played. He left it all on the ice. Exactly right. I don't think anybody has a problem with with Blake Wheeler's performance in this playoff series and with his effort in this playoff series. And you just have to sort of keep in mind that this is what Blake Wheeler is at this stage of his career. He's 36 years old. He's not getting any younger. He's got a lot of tread, uh, you know, that is that is, you know, that is off of his tires. So he's you know performing to what he ever he can do at this point in time. But, you know, what, what strikes me is, is that if Kevin Shevel Dayoff is not speaking uh, today, and Rick Bonus is not speaking today, and that's you know Dave, I, you know uh, said that, and Mike McIntyre is echoing that on Twitter, of course. You know, if Kevin Dayoff's not speaking today, so that presumably means he would be speaking either tomorrow or Monday or sometime next week. It seems odd, just based on the timing, that after he speaks, he's then going to still make, uh, remain that he wouldn't still remain as Jets general manager moving forward. If you were going to make a general manager move, it seems odd to me that you would let Kevin Sheveldayoff speak at season's end and then would make that move subsequent to it. Look at how Pittsburgh did it this year with Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. They pulled that pin immediately upon season's end and, and, and it was clear that they were going to go a different way. If you're letting the general manager speak at uh, you know after the season concludes and after exit interviews are all done, which presumably means he's conducting those exit interviews, to me the writing is on the wall that he's going to stay within the organization. Maybe it gets supplemented. Maybe there's somebody else who comes in and fills the official general manager's chair. But it doesn't seem like Kevin Sheveldayoff's influence on this team and on the roster construction of this team is going anywhere, Ezra. 
Yeah, and and honestly, like with Bradtree living out in Calgary, you wonder if the Jets are you know looking at him. Like I'm I'm not you know the the guy that likes to spread rumors or anything like that. But you just mentioned Ron Hextall and Brian Burke were fired by the Penguins. Now I'm not saying that you know Hextall and Burke are a, a package or just because Hextall is from Manitoba that you know he could potentially be the next GM of the Jets. But I think uh, he's been so bad as as a in, as a general manager in both of his stints. I would agree with that, but Brad Tree Living has not. And no, you know, you Tree wonder if Tree Living, and by the way, Tree Living, Dave, I think you would agree, is a guy that you know other teams in the NHL would love to bring in, even if that's just as an assistant general manager, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I think he'd probably want to be a general manager now that he's been a general manager for a long time, right? But you know, back to to Chevy, I think you know that is really the big question. I mean, that's the first thing that we need to learn. Like, is Kevin Cheveldayoff gonna return for a 13th year? And is he gonna be the guy? you know, that's going to steer the ship. And it's also possible, by the way, that, you know, Chevy is either demoted or reassigned. Like, I don't think that's out of the question that Chevy stays involved with the Jets organization, but you bring in a new general manager. Again, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying these are things to consider, right? And we talked about this on Thursday's show, and I think, you know, it bears repeating. Like, I think, you know, at least this is my own opinion. I think this season is much more disappointing than last year when the Jets missed the playoffs entirely for the simple fact that, you know, you saw the potential, the first place, the second place in the Central, you know, going toe-to-toe with the Dallas Stars for the best team in the Central Division. It was like a different team, and we've used the term Jekyll and Hyde many times before, and it's really been like this since 2019, where, you know, you see the best of the Jets, like the highs are high and the lows are low, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you know, Rick Bonus's comments, um, you know, it's not a mistake that he mentioned, you know, January, February, really when the season started to fall apart. But, you know, it was mentioned earlier by you guys and, you know, the, the two losses to Columbus, the two losses to the San Jose Sharks. Remember that horrible game against the Canadians? I forget exactly when that was, if it was January or February. The when game the against Can- the Islanders on that Sunday afternoon. Exactly. Like there's, there's, you know, at least, at least six to eight games this year yeah. that the Jets no-showed and were defeated by well, I guess the Islanders are a pretty good team, but I mean, when you're talking about the Habs or the Blue Jackets or the Sharks, I mean, these are all, all bottom feeders and teams that are in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, right? So that I think is, you know, something that is at the forefront of this. Yes, only Dave, I think Dave mentioned it earlier. One team wins the Stanley Cup every year. It's the hardest trophy in sports to win. Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Like they might go back to the Stanley Cup final for the fourth year in a row. Obviously the Leafs are going to try to, you know, not let that happen. Um, but so year after year, guys, really talented teams get knocked out in the first round or the second round. Look at the Florida Panthers, right? Like they were the president's trophy winner. They get knocked out in the first round, 2019, same thing. Lightning gets swept by the blue jackets. We could go on and on and on year after year after year. It's not just about the, the lack of talent. Cause I think there's a lot of talent, except especially up front and in goal. Um, even though the defense might be a little bit of a weakness and you could definitely make the argument that the Jets needed to bring in a top four, top pairing defenseman. I don't think it's that. It's the, how do you go from that dominant shutdown team that looks so good in game one in Vegas Mm -hmm. to what we saw in game five? That, you have to answer that question. Why does that keep happening? And it hasn't just happened once. That hasn't happened twice. You go back to 2019, game six against the Blues, right? When the famous, uh, you know, Blake Wheeler comment after Freezer asked him, you know, uh, you know, if that's, you know, what happened basically, you know, why, if that's your best, whatever, I don't remember. Six six shots after 40 minutes. Exactly. Everybody remembers that no show in St. Louis, right? And the same thing happened in Vegas in game five. So that's what you have to figure out. What, what is causing, you know, this disparity? Like you go from, 
the one extreme to the other. You go from a team that looks like they could upset the Golden Knights in the first round to a team that looks like they don't even really deserve to be in the playoffs. That's what you have to figure out. When we come back, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck are speaking to the media. We'll uh, relay some of their comments and discuss what they're both saying. Both comments already quite interesting. Stay with us. It's the Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The Jets are doing exit interviews. We're covering it in its entirety. You're live with the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Hour number one of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsburg with you on this Saturday morning. Nice to see so many new faces, so many familiar faces in the chat. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and be sure to leave us feedback. We do this every Saturday morning, and we'll also do will pop up throughout the offseason as necessary when there is relevant news for us to discuss. And as well, of course, a, a first round coverage of the NHL draft live here on our YouTube channel coming up uh, closer to the draft at the end of June. So be sure to keep it locked to everything illegal curve related. Uh, let's start with Blake Wheeler's comments. He's speaking to the media in downtown Winnipeg on exit interview day. Blake Wheeler, quote, I thought Rick Bonus had an opportunity to address us as a team. He could have been honest with us, handled it behind closed doors. I didn't like how he handled himself after the game. That is Blake Wheeler talking about Rick Bonus and his uh, fiery comments after game five. Uh, you know what? I, wow. I appreciate the Wheeler honesty, but boy, doesn't that just... Uh, demonstrate the the loggerheads that are currently at play within the Winnipeg Jets dressing room. Drew, just important to say, though, that he did, our friend Carter Brooks said he backpedaled a bit on that just after that, said, I think he got caught up in the moment. Regardless of what the message was, I think that could have been done a bit more appropriately to us, not you, as he references Bones' decision to unload on the media as opposed to the team. So should clarify that he did try and backtrack a little bit. Of course, all of these availabilities will be on a little site called illegalcurve.com for all your latest Jets, Moose, and Ice News. But yeah, I mean, like you're... Well, hang on. One more thing from Wheeler. Uh, this okay. courtesy of Mike McIntyre. Another quote. We can all be upset and pissed off, but let's do it face to face. You guys, being the media, don't have to be involved. So, I mean, there's just... Yes, we do. Yes, we do, Blake, because that's <laughs> what makes very good me uh, media. And I don't like. know if you guys also saw this comment from Blake Wheeler. Drew is easily my favorite member of Illegal Curve. The other, Those other two bozos couldn't even hold his jockstrap. That was a, that was unexpected from him. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that compliment from him, but that was certainly uh, un, unexpected. Well, no, and obviously that wasn't a real. If anybody thinks that's real, obviously they haven't been watching the show for the I last don't fourteen think you years. Need to clarify that, Dude, that this wasn't is real. this is two days after Rick Bonus's comments. That's what to me is the most surprising that hearing that from Wheeler because you would think, okay, I know what the media is going to ask me about. They're going to ask me about the disappointing season. Mm -hmm. They're going to ask me about game five. They're going to ask me about Rick Bonus's comments. And he's had two days to prepare for this, right? Like he was the captain for how many years? He knows he was going to speak. He knows the questions he's going to get. So that tells me, guys, that, you know, this hasn't dissipated one bit. Like these guys are – there, there's a – like we've talked about – Can you about imagine so what times. that plane ride was like? 
Oh, I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, it's like, you know, when Naomi's upset about me and we're driving home from Lac du Bonnie. It's a long, long <laughs> van trip, guys. But uh, that never happens. I mean, I always keep Naomi happy. But yeah, she doesn't let you drive in the car with her on the way home. Yeah, exactly. You, I walk home from Lac du Bonnie. roof in a cage. Yeah, exactly. When I'm not in the zoo, I'm, uh, yeah, I get, I get day visits, right? But no, I mean, clearly, guys, there's a disconnect here. And I, I'm sure we're going to get into the Connor Hellebuck comments because yeah. it sounds like, you know, he's not interested in talking about a rebuild at all. And why would he be? right like you think Hellebuck's going to be happy with you know spending the next couple of years you know being a, a non-playoff team I just think that the the comments by Rick Bonus that you can't walk those back there's certain things that you say that you can't go back and you can't come out and say I, oh I actually didn't mean that I was in the heat of the moment he meant it he meant what he said yeah. there should be absolutely no backtracking from anybody on the Jets they should be disappointed with how game five went the entire organization should be upset about how game five went because it was a no-show let me ask you guys this, and we'll get to Connor Hellebuck's comments coming up here in a minute because his are equally interesting. Mm -hmm. Given Rick Bonus's comments after Game 5, given Blake Wheeler's response this morning, given I'm sure what we're going to be hearing, some additional comments, can Rick Bonus return as the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets next season? Well, I mean, look, anything can be hashed out. Any any relationship, fences can be mended, right? So you just go to Home Depot, ask Pierre-Luc Dubois to get some wood, and you just you mend some fences. It's not really isn't a difficulty uh, at His all. His first shift is actually this afternoon. Oh, okay, got it. So I, I don't think there's that, that you was, can. That was snarky, Dave. I got I got to admit, you're normally not that snarky. That was pretty. Ah, I, I was just trying to be clever and more than snarky. Snark. Yeah, I've got a little snark, but uh, look, I, I mean, I I do think that this this kind of nitpicking or or or, or uh, sniping at each other is obviously it's it's great for us as i jokingly said two minutes ago because it makes for great sound bites it makes for conversation pieces on something called the illegal curve hockey show so we we definitely are not upset about it but uh, yeah i mean do i ultimately think that after a summer of you know what do they say cooler heads will prevail eventually like two days is not that long two days is not that long especially to be honest with you when the entire hockey world which is all these guys care about and let me tell you something. All the BS that everyone, I don't read anything. I don't pay attention to everything. All they do is pay attention. All they're doing is paying attention to whatever's out there on social media. Not everyone, but a lot of them. And so the reality is, what is the friends who text them? So don't for a second think that they don't know what's being said. And the point I'm making is that, I mean, look, guys, I had seven posts yesterday on a little site called legalcurve.com that was all about the comment and the reaction to the comments and the Jets. So that's all anybody in the hockey world that is not focused on the playoffs and is not focused on the teams there. If they're covering those teams, this is a big story in the hockey world. So right now, this is the story. This is or the one of the big stories in the hockey world. And I think that it makes it a flashpoint. It makes it, it makes it hot. And yeah, of course, I think after you have some time to cool off and you allow it to settle, do I think these guys could all have a kumbaya moment and sign their little document in Banff once again next year <laughs> and, and make it all work? Sure. I, I I think you could probably get past it. I mean, again, I don't think it's going to be the same group. So I don't think that he's going to have to worry about all of these guys he's going to have to worry about trying to mend fences with. But yeah, ultimately, I think that Rick Bonus from everything, again, I've had not a ton of interactions with him other than sitting in his media availabilities occasionally. But from everything everybody says, he is well-liked. He's well-respected by his players. Former, I mean, look, Frank Corrado was on yesterday on TSN, and all he was doing was gushing about how much he loved playing for Rick Bonus and the kind of coach he is. So, I mean, you, your feelings are hurt. You don't like what he said. Well, look, it's in the moment. He was, he was frustrated, and, and that's just the reality. And, like, no offense to Blake Wheeler, 
Blake Wheeler's probably the last person to be upset with someone reaction after a game because he has what he's has a track record of having the worst reaction to the media, you know, th- mm-hmm. after a hockey game. And I understand, you know, he's, he's wired differently and he's all fired up. Well, Rick Bonus was fired up. So I don't blame him for his comments because he was honest and he was pissed off and he just got punted from a, from a, from a five games, you know, from a seven game series in five games. So yeah, you know, but, but I just think it's ironic of all people who are upset about post-game comments coming from Blake Wheeler, who's probably the snarkiest, most prickly guy when it comes to after a game and his sort of general disposition. I think it's time for these guys to start taking some accountability and like waking up a little bit here, as our friend Kenny Weeb always says, right? Like, like, like are, 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 is the entire world wrong about what happened in game five? Game five was an embarrassingly bad performance by the Jets. It was, it was awful. It, it went probably as worse as bad, pardon me, as it could have gone, right? Like, yes, we get it. Josh Morrissey, your best defenseman out of the lineup. Mark Shifley, your best goal scorer out of the lineup. You missed those guys. Well, the Golden Knights didn't have Shea Theodore and Braden McNabb. What did they do? Did they start crying? I mean, were, are, like, is that is that what they did? They said, oh, well, you know, we're missing two of our top four defensemen. Oh, let's, let's feel bad for ourselves. Oh, I guess the Jets are going to win game five, and we're going to have to hope that they come back for game six or seven. You know what they did? They put Ben Hutton and uh, Braden... Uh, uh, Pachel, Pachel, Pachel in the lineup, young yeah. defenseman, right? And what do they did do? They won four one, right? They found a way to get it done. The Jets' best players did not show up. Uh, Rick Bonus mentioned that specifically that the Golden Knights' best players were better. I think when and and again, Blake Wheeler and Connor Hellebuck were fine. They were not the the I guess primary culprits in terms of no shows in that game. It wasn't Hellebuck's fault. It was the leaders on this team. We talked about Pierre-Luc Dubois, Kyle Connor. I'm curious to hear from Pierre-Luc Dubois at some point during the today's media availabilities. His comments, I think, will also be uh, interesting given his reticence to, uh, you know, to, 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 to really make any sort of commitment or, or express any interest in, in signing in Winnipeg. I think that ship has probably sailed now, but uh, his comments will certainly be interesting. Uh, one more from Blake Wheeler. He was asked about his legacy. That's generally a question you ask of somebody who's not going to be back because that would mean his legacy has been completed here. But nonetheless, uh, asked about his legacy here in Winnipeg, says he gave everything he has, hope that's good enough, didn't take a day off. Uh, You know, I'd agree with that comment. You know, uh, for whatever you want to say about Blake Wheeler, it hasn't been for a lack of effort. Obviously, his ability to go isn't as high as it once was. And you saw that on the ice over the last number of years. And maybe it took coaches too long to realize he doesn't have the same um, the same capabilities as he once did, but I don't think anybody would criticize for the most part Blake Wheeler's effort and his uh, the the give a damn factor that he that he put forth more often than not. Sure, but like if you if I, I think you could make the argument that Blake Wheeler's legacy is similar to the legacy of Mark Shifley and and the core of this team, a very talented group of players who continuously underachieve. Fair. Like we talked about it. They missed the playoffs last year in a year in which many people were picking them to win the Central Division and go uh, deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs. In 2019, they were up 2-1 on the St. Louis Blues. Very disappointing no-show in Game 6, right? Like the, the sweep at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens. Like we're talking about year after year after year. This is five years now, I guess four years now, if we're if we're starting in 2019, where we have had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. So yes, I know Connor Hellebuck doesn't want to talk about a rebuild and Blake Wheeler doesn't want to take the criticism for, for Rick Bonus, but 
okay, well then maybe, you know, win some more hockey games and go deeper into the playoffs. Like hockey fans want their team to win. And this team had no shortage of talent. And yes, of course, they're going to miss these players. But I look at a team like the Carolina Hurricanes, no Evgeny Svechnikov, no Max Pacioretty. They seem Mm -hmm. to be fine. They beat the Islanders. Every team is going to have injuries. The Bruins with Patrice Bergeron earlier in the season with Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy. The Jets themselves overcame injuries in the beginning part of the season and got it done with guys like Mikey Essimont um, and Jansen Harkins and David Gustafson and Kevin Stenland and Saku Manalainen, right? So, yes, you got some injuries, but you have to find a way to win despite those injuries. You don't just buckle under the pressure and no-show and say, well, I mean, we couldn't beat the Golden Knights. We didn't have our best defenseman and our best goal scorer. Let's look into Connor Hellebuck's comments because those are equally interesting as you're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning. Uh, Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you. Remember, subscribe to the YouTube channel, smash the like button, subscribe to the podcast, and IllegalCurve.com going to have all of these availabilities on the website throughout the course of today. Exit interview day for the Winnipeg Jets players. If you're just joining us, Rick Bonus and Kevin Dayoff not expected to speak today likely going to speak either tomorrow or later in the week at some point in time. So keep it locked to IllegalCurve.com for that information. Connor Hellebach, quote, this courtesy of John Liu of TSN, I'm not interested in a rebuild. I just want to compete. I enjoyed myself more in five playoff games than I did all year. It's like a high you got to chase. You can't replicate that anywhere else except for the playoffs. So uh, Hellebuck also saying there's been no discussions with the team about a long-term extension. And he, quote, definitely wants to know the long-term plan before any decisions are made. So does everybody See, else. To me, that's are... interesting that he mentioned that, right? Like he could have easily just said, I want to be here long-term, but he's, he chose to say, I want to know where this team is going before mm-hmm. I sign. And he's entitled to that, but that just shows you that right now there's some uncertainty about Connor Hellebuck's long-term future in Winnipeg, Dave. Yeah, no, I agree, Ezzy. And, and and look, I don't have a problem. Like, I mean, these are these comments are no different than the ones that filter out about Connor Hellebuck last year, mm-hmm. where everyone was talking about, well, I mean, Connor Hellebuck himself said, like, I, I'm not interested in a rebuild. So I, it's, again, this is not like, wow, I can't believe he said that because it's like, well, no, he said that last year and he's 30 years, approaching 30 years old. Of course he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild because the whole idea is his window to win. It's kind of like, remember when the Jets gave Blake Wheeler that contract? And what did we all say? We said that contract is going to look good. I actually think that contract looked better for longer than many of us anticipated with Blake Wheeler. I think many of us anticipated the Wheeler comment contract coming back to bite them. Yeah. Ultimately, to be honest with you, if, if, if next year, this year and next year, and he was still, you know, almost, he did still perform fairly admirably this year. But ultimately, if next year, the last year of the contract ends up being the only one in which it looks bad, fine. But with Connor Hellebuck, you know, look, he we obviously know he's approaching 30. He's going to be looking for a, you know, seven, eight-year deal. And so, you know, would the Jets be comfortable giving it I'll to him? I'll be looking for they, the Carey Price deal, Dave. Absolutely. And so the fact of the matter is you want, and if you're the Jets organization, and with all due respect to Arvid Holm or Oscarie Salmon or Dominic DiVincentis or... Dante Genuzzi, who I introduced myself yesterday to in the press box, as he, of course, so on Frank. Great kid, yeah. great, kid I, great family. I assume I'm, he, I assume he said, "Oh, I know you." 
Uh, well, I, he did. He did when I introduced myself to you. He didn't just okay. look at me and say, "I know who you are." But he did when I uh, I said, "You know, of course, our friend Frank wouldn't uh, wouldn't have it any other way than yeah. other than cousin of, cousin of the Zappias, yeah, yes. cousin of the Zappias." So I, I introduced myself to Dante Genuzzi, and uh, and uh, he's a nice, real nice kid actually. And so we'll see what happens with him. And his uh, WHL career is now over, but we'll see what ends up happening with him. The point I'm making. Sorry, as I sidetrack to, of course, we love talking about Winnipeggers here on the show. But the, the point I'm making is that, yes, if we are, we've talked about it, Connor Hellebuck has been the lifeblood of this organization. And, and ultimately, are you willing to accept Connor Hellebuck at 36, 37, 38 years old if he can get you a Stanley Cup, which is what we talked about with Blake Wheeler? Then, yeah, you're prepared to do that, you know, because now remember, there's, you want to talk about tread. That guy has a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of tread has been worn off the tires based on how they've used him throughout the course of the year, the years, and they're going to have to find him a suitable backup that can play, you know, 20, 25 games to allow him to be fresh for the playoffs. But ultimately, I mean, his comments aren't surprising. I, I'm not surprised by them. I would, I, in fact, I, I would think that they're the comments that you would expect him to make because he's mm-hmm. a guy who wants to compete for a Stanley Cup. I don't know if you're going to read his comments about wanting to win a Stanley Cup, Drew, uh, that some of the guys have quoted, but ultimately Again, whether it's for this organization or for another, you're going to be able to acquire. You're either going to be able to keep Connor Hellebuck and take and 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 signal to your your fan base, we're going to retool this. We're going to trade away the guys who don't want to be here. We're going to bring in some young guys to take that next step in our organization, and we're going to challenge for a cup. Because look, as he said it, I mean, if you're trading away guys, I'm not going to insert a name because it doesn't really make a difference. But if you're trading away top end talent, then you have to bring in what you're lacking. Well, what are the Jets lacking? If the Jets can bring in a top pairing right side defenseman to go alongside Josh Morrissey. That goes a long way to stabilizing the defensive group. Cause what have we talked about? If you could move Neil Pionk down, if you could move Dylan DeMello down, if you could move Nate Schmidt to a more appropriate spot, you know, maybe supplementing those guys in, I mean, it, it just makes it a lot better for your organization. And that's one of the areas I think the Jets need to address is bringing in a guy who can pair, who can really be the one, you know, one, a stud on this hockey team that makes Josh Morrissey the one B and really stabilize the defensive group when you have Connor Hellebuck, because it doesn't matter how good your offensive is. If your defense isn't good and if you don't stick to the defense. So to me, I I don't have a problem with Connor Hellebuck's words because mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's a guy who wants to compete for a championship. What, what's that a surprise no, at I any point? Connor Hellebuck's this- comments are, are, are exactly what you would have expected. I mean, sorry for interrupting you there. No, Dave. that's good. I mean, I think Connor Hellebuck's comments are, are yeah, are, are no surprise at all because he is a guy who all these guys want to compete for a Stanley Cup. Hellebuck can essentially say whatever he wants. I mean, if there's one guy that can say whatever he wants, it's Hellebuck. Like, you know, he can also, he can complain, he can criticize others, he can really do anything because this team does not get into the playoffs without him. Of course not, but he's also a year away for, from free agency, so he has the leverage. I mean, he has the leverage to do, you know, to do uh, and steer his career in whichever manner he wants. So I don't blame you. When is the last time a top tier free agent, a guy who was, you know, on the verge of becoming uh, an unrestricted free agent, really ever went and signed with a rebuilding team? I mean, yes, you would point to Johnny Goudreau, maybe, but that is, I think, the exception rather than the rule. Because I mean, it absolutely about, is. Yeah, yeah well, Drew, how, and you should, especially, and, con- I, especially yeah. considering boys that he could have been on the Devils, right? Well, like, think about how shocked everybody was when Goudreau went there. Um, I mean, nobody saw that coming because it, it's almost unprecedented and nobody expected to be for Columbus to be as bad this year as they were. So that's not necessarily what I 
describe as a traditional rebuild. The Jets might be on the verge of a traditional rebuild, a la the Blackhawks of this year or the Canadians of this year or the Sharks or the Ducks or anything like that. Do you think John Gibson, uh, you know, yeah. is going to re-sign in Anaheim with the, you know, if they were just at the, you know, uh, just about to hit uh, the start of a rebuild? No, he wouldn't. I mean, let no me tell you. For him too. Let me tell you. The word "rebuild" right now is a toxic one in today's media availability, and I'm assuming Kyle Drew. Connor. I'm trying to tee you up to what Thank Kyle you. Connor's comments are because I think they're pertinent to the discussion we're having right now. Yeah, so Kyle Connor now at the, the podium speaking, I believe, alongside Nino Niederreiter, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Kyle Connor, his comments, quote, uh, or the, this is courtesy of Mike McIntyre, uh, the players would have liked, quote, a little more transparency from coach Rick Bonus when he ripped them in the media after game five. Uh, Kyle Connor going on to say, I don't think anyone in that locker room wants to be part of a rebuild. Now, the problem for Kyle Connor, of course, is if this is going down the rebuilding path, well, he still has three years left on his contract uh, now that this season is over. So he's still got three years to go. So he doesn't have that leverage that I just spoke about when it pertains. Uh, Drew, can I just jump in here, though? Yes. Like, I, I like, like, and I'm not, when I say this, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not saying that the, the journalist and, and the reporters, because we have great reporters here in Winnipeg and we have a lot of them on the show but like what is like when you think about like Davis said this so many times when you ask a veteran player whether it's Connor Hellebuck whether it's Kyle Connor whether it's Pierre-Luc Dubois who obviously there's a good chance he won't be around here what who is going to say that they want to be part of a rebuild like Davis said this year after year these guys want to win Hellebuck said it himself like he said I want to be in the playoffs the playoffs are way more fun than the regular season which obviously he's 100% right we know the regular season drags on and it goes on way too long once you get into game 70 you're essentially ready for the first round of the playoffs I just think mm -hmm. it's funny like nobody should be surprised that any of these players because at the end of the day the players don't make the decision if this team is going to rebuild it's ownership and and management I just think it's funny year after year how you know questions are asked about a potential rebuild and anybody expects, you know, anything different than these guys saying that they don't want to go through a rebuild because nobody wants to be, you know, on a bottom 10 team in the league. Nobody. Well, to, to your point, as a Kyle Connor said, you know, continuing on that same theme, Kyle Connor said no player in their mid-20s wants to go through a rebuild. So right. you're exactly right. I mean, you're, you know, none of the comments are, 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 you know, surprising. All the players are saying what you would expect, which is no rebuild. But it's incumbent on management to either you know, supplement what there is in existence in the in, in, on the team or to ignore those players because that is, you know, the, the players can't be the ones making that decision. To mm -hmm. quote a general manager, this isn't fantasy hockey. There <laughs> needs to be an actual leadership group of uh, management deciding what uh, needs to be the future shape of any particular team. So, I mean, Kyle Connor, again, that's a guy who, you know, he's probably, I mean, unless you're going completely scorched earth, like we talked about on, on the post-game show on Friday morning, because Kyle Connor very well would probably be the guy who fetch you the most amount of money uh, or the most in a trade if that is if you're going full rebuild. I mean, Kyle Connor is an elite goal scorer in this league. Elite goal scorers don't get traded in this league, Dave M. And so mm -hmm. all of a sudden, if Kyle Connor uh, is on the block, you know, that would be a, a complete and clear signal that the Jets are going absolutely with the rebuild, but it would also tell you uh, that it's gonna, they're going to get a pretty hefty return in exchange for Kyle Connor.
No, I, I, there's no question about it. And, and as he's 100% bang on, it's it's kind of like when we laugh when guys get asked about draft picks. And it's like, yeah, I really care what a guy who's going to be in the organization five years from now, probably three or four years after I'm no longer part of it, I'm really interested in talking about a draft pick or tanking for a guy or this. So it's like, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Nobody is going to say, I love the idea of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you could maybe get a guy who could say, a retool because a retool doesn't sound so bad. A retool says, yeah, you know, hey, I've got a car that drives, you know, 100 miles an hour. I want it to go 150. You know, I had a few parts. Sure, I'm going to make it a faster car. Okay, let's retool things. I didn't know that the, that the M in, in Dave M stood for mechanic. Well, I mean, based on how generic that uh, and how uh, how there was nothing specific about what I did to improve that car, Drew, you should understand. I mean, I didn't start talking about nitrous and this and that, but, you know. Dave, my brakes have been acting up a little bit. Can you take a look under the hood later? That's because you've see- been using the car like like Fred Flintstone with your feet trying to trying to break that way, you know, falling through the floorboard there. Uh, go Drew. see my boy. If you want, if you want a mechanic, go see my boy Claudio at uh, just off Lodge Modi. He's my, he's a, my number one man. Claudio's garage. Honest. Very great mechanic. But anyways. The point is that, no, I mean, look, nobody is going to say anything other than that they don't want to be a part of a, to a rebuild because when Kyle Conn is right, all these guys want to win. Now, they have to do things in order to achieve those wins, like play, perform on the ice I'm and score goals. from CJLB into the conversation so he can join us now. But keep going with your point, Dave M. Yeah, I, I, again, like I said, we'll welcome Cam in here and he can he can hey, jump guys. on board. But, hey, Cam, but, but I think ultimately what it ends up being, Drew, is just that you've got guys who are wired to win. Like, look, Kyle Connor mm. has been a winner since the University of Michigan and even before as he in his USHL days. This guy wins. I mean, that's all these guys want to do. He scores goals. He performs. Now, again, it's incumbent on him to actually do what he does well on the ice and do that year in and year out. But yeah, no, nobody, no player in his right mind is going to say, yeah, I love the idea of a rebuild. I think it's fantastic. Let's do it. Cam, well, welcome to the program, Mr. Poitras. Of course, Jets at Noon on CJLB Radio, good friend of ours. You know, Cam, obviously the media availabilities, the exit interviews going on, the Mm -hmm. ramifications from Rick Bonus's comments, uh, you know, being felt uh, all throughout uh, the the Jets locker room, the Jets dressing room, and the NHL world at large. You know, from your perspective, given what Rick Bonus said uh, after Game 5, given the players' response today, is this a fence that can be mended or is, is is Rick bonus one and done as the Winnipeg Jets head coach? Yeah, I guess it would depend on who's coming back. Um, because I, I was listening to the availabilities before I jumped on with you guys. And of course, and it, you know, I, and I'm not surprised that the players didn't like that. I mean, these, these are, these guys are, have a lot of pride, you know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, uh, from this perspective of, of looking outside and speaking to fans all yesterday and, and the day before, I have not found somebody yet that didn't like what Rick Bonus said. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, I mean, my brother texted me after the show, uh, after the, after the show yesterday on, on, um, and said, like, he just was saying what everybody was thinking. And you, you, you have a bunch of guys that have a lot of pride. These guys are hockey players. These guys are insanely competitive. I mean, to get to that level, I mean, it, it's, it's not just talent that gets you there. I mean, it, it's, it's work ethic and all that stuff. And, and to have that called out, um, and, and Blake Wheeler kind of uh, alluded to that he had an opportunity to address the team. And, and perhaps I, I'm sure maybe if you ask Rick bonus, he would, he would do it a little differently, but that was something that you don't do that. If that's not boiling over for, for months and months. And that's what that was. Um, well, and you, I, you know, Cam, sorry, yeah. not sorry for interrupting, but you know, generally speaking, so like, you know, the game ends, the media interviews don't usually don't start immediately thereafter. It's not like yeah. instantaneously because usually teams 
and organizations want to give their head coach and the players the opportunity to sort of leave the moment, the disappointment of the game, yeah. take a deep breath, compose themselves. And yet Rick Bonus still, after having that moment, went and did what he did with his comments, which I agree, nobody that I know, I haven't heard from anyone who who says, you know, that they, they weren't warranted or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But, you know, it, 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 it sort of, I think that to me even highlights more about how frustrated he must have been with this yeah. team because he took that moment, took that breath and still said what he said. Yeah. I mean that, that he, he went out there and he was, he was ready to, he was ready to go to, to just, I mean, he signs a two year deal, right? I mean, he, he held off his retirement to come here. It was an opportunity. He said earlier before the season started, he had some chances to join some teams as um, you know, as a, associate coach or a you know a guy that runs the power play on some teams that had no chance even at a sniff at the playoffs so the reason why he came to winnipeg was because he had a chance to win here he saw a, a roster that underperformed that didn't live up to its 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 standards and what the expectation was with the players like that's why i'm not i'm not all i'm not in on a, on a rebuild right now I, I i think there needs to be a retool clearly there's some change that needs to happen there, there's some guys in this core that that have played their last game as a Winnipeg Jet. And that that's good for the team. That's good for the fan base. It's good for the organization. And it's good for them too. Those players that are going to be moved out, it's it's the best case scenario for them to to move on and get some and get and get a fresh opportunity. So this is a win-win-win for everybody because clearly what's going on is not working. And I mean, it, it, uh, leading up to, I mean, it, it all started in Carolina when, you know, Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, and I think the last time I was on with you guys, we talked about this. Um, and Nito Niederreiter, Nito Niederreiter was kind of just involved in that. Mm -hmm. Those guys get benched and miss the, the you know, the, the big portion of, of that game and then eventually come back for the third period. But that was, uh, Rick Bonus has been around a long time. That, that incident when he sat those guys, that was brewing for, I would say, weeks, if not months at that point. Then we get to the point of San Jose where he does his first, similar not as obviously as scathing as what happened uh in vegas after game five but we have that situation in san jose after that game when they lose three nothing against the last place team in the league you you have him call those guys call out his top players you know in a very similar fashion not again not a scathing mm -hmm. but you have that situation go as well that again was brewing for months and months and now we have this situation where the team seemingly um gets themselves right and heads into the postseason, but I, I think everybody, I mean, I picked them to win in six games, I, and I wasn't alone. I wasn't on an island when I made that call. Um, there was a lot of people, a lot of people you know, higher up with bigger hockey minds than me were, were saying something similar based on how they were going into the playoffs. They were right. I mean, that's what we all hear. Then You need momentum heading into the postseason. That's what those guys had. Um, and we saw that in game one, and we saw that for the first half of game two, and then everything fell apart, and it was exactly as Rick Bonus said, as soon as there was pushback as soon as as soon as that happened uh they had no response to it and and accumulated in in a game 5 where um they weren't in that game for a split second they weren't in that game for a split second they got their butts handed to them they weren't they were no shows in that game and so i mean you you have all that lead up to a pivotal moment. I mean, we, we throw around the word must win. That was a must win game. The season was on. This core, the what this core was going to be defined as when we look back at it for the next 20, 30, 40 years was on the line. 
Are you guys going to fight for each other? Are is is this it? I understand Mark Shifley's on the lineup. I understand Josh Morrissey's not there, right? I understand there's bumps and bruises on everybody, but this is you guys together fighting f- to move on in this playoffs and bring the series back to Winnipeg to play in f- front of the fans, you know, in a whiteout atmosphere, which they you know they couldn't get it done. They almost did in in, in Game Three there, but this is what everybody in the like. I mean, Cal Connor, everybody talking about playing in a whiteout and how special that is, right? And 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 you know how. T- these guys talk about how close they are in the locker room. Everybody gets along and stuff. An opportunity to keep that going. And to say that they fell flat is an understatement. They weren't even in that game. They were complete no-shows. And so you see Rick Bonus, his frustration in front of everybody. And everything's on the table now, guys. There, there's no secrets anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing, right? And so some players are going to move on. The team's going to move on from some players. I don't, I'm not in full into a rebuild. I still think this team has a lot of good pieces, but there needs to be change. And I'm not saying it needs to be seismic, um, but the core cannot, there has to be, there has to be changes. And some of those key guys and and those guys that I think everybody knows that Rick bonus was, was sort of zeroing in on um, they need to move on for the good of the team and for themselves as well. Cam, what I I think, and you make a lot of good points. And one of the things that resonated with me the most there was when you said that you're more in favor of a retool versus a rebuild. Because right before you came on, Dave mentioned it. As soon as you start mentioning rebuild, whether it's with players or coaches or management or fans, everybody freaks out and they think, oh my God, we're going to be the next Buffalo Sabres and we're going to miss the playoffs for the next decade, right? But, you know, I I think it it would be naive to think based on Kevin Sheveldayoff's track record, based on the Jets organization's track record, to think that, you know, Wheeler's going to be traded, Shifley's going to be traded, Dubois, you know, Connor and everybody, I I just think is unrealistic. So I I agree with you when you say that, you know, there are going to be changes, but there might not be, you know, the the massive changes. But I think, you know, the question I was going to ask you is about the no-show in game five, because this is not an outlier. It's not an aberration, right? You go back to 2019, game six against the Blues. You go back to that second round series versus the Canadians when the Jets, they, they, they had trouble like generating, you know, a couple of good scoring chances on, on Carey Price, right? Like, I think that is something that the organization has to look really hard at is how do you go from a team that looks like number one seed killers in game one, like the Jets, that was a textbook game one Playoff. Maybe their best game all year. Maybe their best game all year, right, Cam? Yeah, and then you yeah. go from that, and then you know you go from that to even Game Three, where the Jets obviously were down three goals and had the miraculous comeback with Lowry scoring with about twenty seconds left. Like, mm-hmm. how do you go from like you know the Jets are they go from one extreme to the other? Like I said, the highs are high, the lows are low, right? Like mm-hmm. that's kind of what has been the story of this team since two thousand nineteen. Uh, it's it's. I, I don't even know how to answer that. Like it's, 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 is this rock bottom is a question I have to ask you guys. Is this rock bottom for this team? Like, is, is this the point where it's like, like I said earlier, like is, is this, it's all out there now. There's, there's no more secrets. It's all on the table. And I mean, is this rock bottom for the, for, for this, for this organization right now, just based on the, the levels of disappointment and, 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 and as you bring up a really good point talking about like, how big this changes and looking at the track record of Kevin Shivel day off it's. And, and as we wait for him to, to, you know, speak eventually, I don't think he's yeah, going to speak anytime soon, but it yeah, might be early next week. Right. Yeah. I mean, but we're, we're going to wait and see what happens. I mean, what, what do we want to hear from him? We want to hear some, I, I think we need some more honesty from him this time around. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I think, 
in 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 a way, Rick Bonus has kind of forced that onto him, mm-hmm. which is I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's the more like you know, with respect to and you know, taking a look and all this, and you know, you know we we've we've all seen Kevin Chivaldayoff's, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, press conferences and media availabilities in the past. They're they're very 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 serious. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're all exactly the same. Um, we need some more honesty from him, and I mean, there needs to be some some serious talk about about this coordinate for the exact same reasons, as you said before, um, where it's there, there's, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to not see, we're going to be listening to Rick bonuses comments forever. Cause those are some, they're, they're going to live in infamy for this organization because it, it is a conundrum because you, you do have those highs and you do have those lows. And it's not like it's something that is new. Right. And it's, it's just like those examples that you brought up. Um, it, it seems like, um, you go back to um, losing Dustin Bufflin, him, him deciding he doesn't want to go anymore. That obviously would have changed how the team was going to handle its blue line that offseason. You know, I think for sh- for sure Ben Sherratt would still be in a Winnipeg Jets uniform. He would have signed a, a, at least a, a five or six year deal. Maybe we'd be coming to the tail end of it, um, but he would have definitely stayed around. He's a commodity in the National Hockey League. I mean, the Florida Panthers traded a first round pick to bring him in. That's a whole another story. And now they're almost they're taking Boston almost to the cleaners here, and we're going to see what happens in Game Five and Seven. But uh, you know, maybe Tyler Myers, who you know hasn't been exactly fantastic in in, in Vancouver, and and you know maybe that would have been different. And you certainly one hundred percent, I mean, Truba was going where Truba was going. Um, but I mean, I I. I there, there needs to be. I, I, I think it can't drag out, guys. Like, I, I just don't think it can drag out. I, I think if this is something that goes to August, it goes to September. Um, it just can't do that. I mean, it's, it's change has to come, and I think it has to come quick. It has to come by the draft. Like, you need to hear from Pierre Luc Dubois. What, what's your? Are, are you going to sign here long term? Here's nine and a half. Hey, you know what? We'll even maybe bump it up to ten because we understand we're going to have to overpay. We need a decision from you. And that, and that's, and that's what needs to happen. And then I think Mark Scheifele, I think for his sake and for the sake of the organization, I think you got to move on from him. I think he needs to be traded. I mean, he's a 42 goal scorer um, with a very good contract going into another year. There's going to be a team in this, in this, in the Stanley cup playoffs here, as it continues to go on, that's going to say, man, we need more scoring. We're going to bring Mark Scheifele on and he's, we're not going to expect him to play a big defensive part. Um, but there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And, and I go back to Paul Stasny's comments last year and things are exactly the same, right? I mean, there hasn't been any change. So the organization... And that's, and that's why I think this yeah. year's different camp. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I think this year's no, no. different because we're talking about the same thing. There's no way, there's no possible way I can see the team running it back. To your point about... They can't. You, know, you, had, you had the big side there. It's it's tough to know what what which shoe is going to drop first, right? Like, is it going to yeah. be Dubois? Is it going to be the general manager? We know that shoes are going to drop. It's just really hard because there's so many shoes, sorry to use that uh, metaphor or whatever <laughs> yeah. I'm, whatever nonsense yeah. I'm, I'm spewing right now. It's mm. really hard to know, like, which is the first step that you take in this retool? Because I agree with you. You're not going to trade eight guys. You mm. can't trade the entire team as Dave always talks about. But it's tough to know, like, what's going to happen first? When is it going to happen? Because I agree, it could happen you know, as early as the next week, but I think something will have to happen prior to the draft. This isn't something that, you know, you're going to wait till August to deal with. Just go back to what you said. I mean, it's the shoe drop. The first thing we're going to learn as to what's going to happen is the status of what Kevin Chevel, what's going to happen with Kevin Chevel day off, yeah. because if they're going to bring in a general manager, he's, and you're, Rick you're not, 
and Rick Bonus. That's well, right. and, and hold on, Cam, before you before you jump too quick, because I want that's my question. So I want to yeah. I want to ask it, and then you can answer it because yeah. otherwise, then I won't have a question. Okay, but, but, right. that is, but that is, yeah. but ultimately, that is my question for you: Is do you think based? I mean, Drew asked me the question; I gave an yeah. answer, but I'm curious as to what your insight is. With based on how things have gone and the comments from the players and the comments from Rick Bonus, do you see Rick Bonus as the coach of the Winnipeg Jets for the 22-3-24 season? Well, I think when you're talking, the players are talking to the GM, that's a big question right now because I, they were not happy with what he said. I agree with what Rick Bonus said. The players are probably not happy. Again, going back to that pride and stuff like that. Um, th- I mean, that's these are going to be the first two shoes to drop that they're going to indicate what's to come here. If they're going to bring in a GM, he's going to choose his own head coach. He's going to he's going to be in charge of these decisions moving forward with these players that are, you know, Dubois, RFA, the rest of them are going to be UFA at the end of the next year. You're not going to have him make all if Kevin Shevel off and I'm not for canning Kevin Shevel off. Maybe I'm, I'm also not against bringing in somebody with some fresh eyes to take a, a look at this roster. Some guy that, that doesn't have um, there's no emotional attachment. It's a guy coming in. Bam. I'm seeing this this lineup for what it is. And I'm going to put my own spin on it. I'm not against that. I'm not against that. And at the same time, I'm not for firing uh, Kevin Chivaldayoff. Maybe there's an opportunity there if a change is going to be made there to move him up in the organization into another into another position. I think that remains to be seen. But those are going to that's going to be the first decision. What's going to and we'll find that out in the next couple of weeks. Here is Kevin Chivaldayoff going to be the the GM? You know, based on his three year extension, he's got two more left on that. I, I think I know where, where I'm leaning as to what's going to happen here. And, and, and people can make their own decisions if they think that's the right decision or not the right decision. I think that that's where the organization is leaning towards. Um, but uh, what's going to happen with the general manager? Because if you're not going to have Shevel Dayoff make all these decisions and then next year when he's in his final year of his current contract – uh, have bring somebody in when sort of the the slate is our the big moves have already been made. So I think that's the first decision. And then leading up to the draft and at the draft and maybe perhaps a, a week or two afterwards, um, we're gonna we're gonna really have a good indication of what really is gonna happen uh, heading into next season. I, I I think that's the big indication. And I I I I think I don't know. It's 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 difficult to say because you know do you, are you going to make change for the sake of change i think you almost at this point have to last year you had the chance to um to and and like like when you kevin uh, you know mark shifley and blake wheeler were on the top number 1 and 2 on trade boards um for for a number of weeks no moves were made right mm-hmm. that 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 was because uh there was there was lots of players going after those two guys. Like I mean, don't 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 think that there wasn't. But it was moves that the general manager Kevin Chevalier thought were not going to improve the team or get them to the next level. Right? I think that that opportunity is now gone. It's you're going to have to make moves. You're going to have to do trades because it's it's crazy if they bring if they they can't roll this team back. They can't. There's got to be some big changes here. And, and is it, is it bringing guys in that have, that have guts and, and have a different play style? It's going to have to be something like that, right? Because it's just not working. It's not working. And so I, I hope I answered your question there, Dave, because I've been kind of running around here, but uh, it's all good. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Cam Poitras is with CJOB Radio, Jets at noon. You can hear him on Monday. I'm sure he's going to have uh, some opinions based on the, the uh, exit interviews and everything mm-hmm. that has gone down since the Jets were defeated by the Golden Knights of Vegas. Cam, appreciate it this morning. Thanks, thanks for a lot, guys. Us, buddy. Yeah, thanks a lot. Lots of fun, guys. Take care. We'll do it again real Here's soon. Here's Cam. There yeah. he goes, Cam Poitras, joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. The exit interviews continue. We will come back and give some more comments from the players who are speaking. Marty Biron at the bottom of the hour, he disagrees with what Rick Bonus said after game five. We'll ask Marty about his opinion and where the Winnipeg Jets go from here as well. It's a heated fiery Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're covering the Jets in their entirety. Don't go anywhere. We're live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at rumorscomedyclub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Uh, I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments so you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs of Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on on this Saturday morning. Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, discussing the end of the Winnipeg Jets season, the exit interviews that are currently underway in downtown Winnipeg, and where the team goes from here. Uh, Neil Pionk speaking, uh, nothing that I would uh, describe as making any headlines, says the injuries he was playing through this season were, quote, pretty minor stuff. 
nothing that will make headlines. So uh, the idea that uh, Pionk was dealing with something, well, he's pouring cold water on that. His play improved uh, as the season sort of got to its later stages, but still uh, not a lot to necessarily love about Neil Pionk's game. That was after uh, the cortisone injections. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, so Nikolai Ehlers also, he declines to disclose the nature of his upper body injury that kept him out of games one through four because he might go play for Denmark in the World Hockey Championship. So Ehlers, a guy who obviously had uh, starts and stops throughout this season and everyone had him pegged as having a uh, as being a breakout candidate, mm-hmm. uh, obviously did not have the year that he wanted. But uh, he might go play for Denmark in the World Hockey Championships to get a few more games in. But really, since Blake Wheeler and Connor Hellebuck, and to probably a lesser extent, Kyle Connor, uh, not a lot of what I would describe as headline-grabbing media availabilities going on in downtown Winnipeg. The players that I'm most interested still to hear from, of course, uh, Mark Scheifele and Pierre-Luc Dubois. For sure. Those are the two that are going to be the uh, the most interesting, particularly Dubois, uh, as the uh, end-of-season media availabilities roll on. All the availabilities will be available on LegalCurve.com. Uh, so, you know, the Jets, again, are a team in flux, gentlemen. Uh, a lot of unknowns, a lot of question marks. Who's going to be the head coach next year if it's not Rick Bonus? Who's going to be the general manager if it's not going to be uh, Kevin Dayoff? Does he get a new title and does somebody else come in to run the day-to-day operations? Remember, lots of teams, the most, I think the vast majority of teams almost have a president of hockey operations now. And the Jets are one of those few that, that don't have that split titles between general manager and president of hockey operations. That's something we've discussed in the past. If the Jets need that, I think they do. Uh, whether or not that'll happen is obviously still to be determined. Absolutely. And, you know, Cam was kind of struggling to, you know, in his answer to know where, you know, that that first change is going to be. But I think, you know, and, and you know, just getting back to Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and Mark Shifley, two players who obviously are under the spotlight because, you know, that could have been their last game with the Winnipeg Jets possibly. Obviously, Shifley didn't play, but meaning that, you know, the, the game – that he played could be his last game. So I don't know if, you know, we're going to get the type of comments that we got last year, boys, where it seemed like Shifley maybe wasn't going to be back next year. So I I would imagine they're going to be, you know, fairly tame in, you know, what they say. We'll have to wait and see, right? Because obviously Kyle Connor and Connor Hellebuck were spitting fire and Dave M was loving that as he pumps out content for a little site called illegalcurve.com, right? But I think, you know, it goes back to kind of our conversation with Cam Poitras, uh, of CGOB, obviously, great conversation that we just had with Cam. You guys should listen to him and Jim on CGOB Jets at noon. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't necessarily just because the Jets lost in the first round and it was really disappointing doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see the level of changes that that people want. But I agree that there's an argument to be made. You know that that this should be Kevin Dayoff's last year as general manager of the Jets because of the fact that we have seen year after year of disappointing result, right? If it was just one year, like 2019, I can understand, you know, why you bring Kevin Dayoff back. But now that you've had four years of disappointing finishes to the season, I mean, wh- what makes you think that Chevy is the right guy? All due respect to Chevy, I think he's made some great trades, and you, and you could argue you know, that he's won a lot of the trades and, you know, he's drafted really well. And the Jets obviously, you know, have a great amateur scouting staff. So they deserve a lot of credit 
for that as well. But I think there's definitely an argument to be made. And that, that to me, Drew, is the biggest decision, right? Because if Chevy is back, then obviously I wouldn't expect a ton of changes. But if, if there's going to be a different general manager, then I would expect major changes. Dave, when does the business side of things begin to impact the hockey side of things? Because we know how important... I think we've already seen it, Drew. Okay, go on. No, 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 I'll let you finish. I'm just interjecting slightly, and I'll let you continue, and then I'll give you an answer. I was going to say, because the business side of things is obvious that there's a business component to this Winnipeg Jets offseason. Now, they got the two home playoff games, and those home Mm -hmm. playoff games are worth their weight in gold financially. Those are just, you know, licenses to print money for the organization. So they're happy to have taken those two games. They're probably disappointed, uh, certainly, that they didn't get at least a third game uh, that have the series at least go six, because, again, that would have been another opportunity for some more uh, what I'll describe as free money. But we know the season ticket base is low. We know mm-hmm. the fan base is angry. How, you know, When does the business side say, look, I, we don't necessarily want to make this move regarding Kevin Dayoff, but we owe it to our fan base and we owe it to the ticket-buying public that we can't sell him anymore as the man to lead this organization? Well, I, I think the answer would be from the response from the fan base. If the fan base is not, first of all, the fan base aren't, isn't going to respond to that ad campaign that they ran just before playoffs got underway. <laughs> forever really Winnipeg. One. <laughs> Hashtag forever Winnipeg. Uh-huh. But um, I think that, yeah, I think that they'll have to, people will talk with their pocketbook and they'll let the organization know whether they're willing. To, I mean, I'm sure that as they attempt to sell season tickets and as these reps call and maybe they're hearing this and maybe that stuff travels up the, the ladder and you say, if you get enough people saying something, if you get enough angry folks, then then you have to start to listen. It's not about like responding because, wow, a vocal minority went ballistic and because of that, you're going to make all these radical changes that you didn't think were necessary. But in, if enough of your ticket buying base suddenly say enough is enough. We're not happy. Yeah, you're right, Drew. The the business side of things does infect or become a a, a factor, I should say, not infect, but become a factor in the decision-making for the hockey side of things. Because ultimately, if your fan base, which with all due respect to all of these other folks, I don't care what the players have to say because the players are the ones who are getting paid by the fans. The fans are the ones who essentially control this, even though they don't own it. Kevin Chevrolet, I mean, Mark Chipman and David Thompson are the owners, mm-hmm. but the fans are the ones who are paying for all of this. You know, the, Jet, the Jets are doing these renovations right now. Who do you think is paying for that? Are the Jets paying for that? Well, maybe they are out of their profits, but it's the fan base that has to pay with their hard-earned dollars to support this, this team in every way and shape that they do. So ultimately, if the fan base has had enough of Kevin Day off and they respond with, if you're going to bring him, you're going to keep him. And I understand that it's it's difficult in the sense that it's not a collective group. It's not one sort of monolithic thought process, you know, group that thinks that way. But I, I think ultimately that could have an impact in the way the Jets decide to move forward in the future. We bring into the program now our very good friend, you know, his coverage on TSN, on MSG and RDS. Our friend Marty Biron joins us on the program now, the Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Marty, good morning. Nice to see you. How are things? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, good, Marty, Marty. As you might imagine, the tongue's still a wagging here in Winnipeg <laughs> uh, after uh, Rick Bonus's end of game comments after game five. The players, their exit interviews going on right now. 
yeah. uh, we wanted to bring you in, of course, you know, your, your years as an NHL players for some insight regarding that. But you also disagreed with uh, Rick Bonus and the approach he took after game five on Thursday. Uh, so maybe expand on that and tell our audience what you disagreed with with regard to what Rick Bonus had to say. Well, first of all, like I respect Rick Bonus, and he's done so many uh, great things in the hockey world. Like he's been around forever. I just felt like this was an emotional response, right? You just lost in five games to the Vegas Golden Knights. You come to the podium and you're fired up. Like he just that's gonna be short and sweet. Like he just came in like with all this emotional. Uh, baggage, and I'm not saying it's good, it's bad. I'm just saying I love when a coach is raw. But sometimes there's a reason why we get quiet interviews or cliches or because you got to think about things, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the emotions of losing and your season's over um, can sway you a different way. So that's the one thing. I, I Look, I played for John Tortorella, and I loved it when <laughs> after games he was he was raw and going after, you know, reporters or whatnot like it's just that's the way it is but i i like that um number two is that rick bonus compared the pushback in this playoffs compared to the pushback in february and i disagree with the the, the similarities right because in the playoffs number one you're playing the number one team in the western conference the vegas golden knights you're not playing arizona on a tuesday night or chicago or columbus or whatever like you're playing the best team in the western conference and you're playing the best team in the western conference healthy they weren't healthy all season long and now they're healthy you saw the difference with mark stone uh even with Ico playing the way that he has uh, it's it's a very very good team and you're playing that team healthy while you're struggling with your own health and your own players that should be on the ice giving the pushback are not there. You don't have Morrissey, your best player all year long. You don't have Shifley, and you only had Ehlers for one game. But really, like, how effective was he? Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, like, he was probably a 5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. That's not going to get you much pushback. So, so it's unfortunate because I feel like the Jets – um, were this team that could change things in the first round and they win game one, but the circumstances went against them. And so I, I disagreed with Rick just because I felt it was an emotional response and that the facts were were not really uh, the way that I saw them. Now, listen, he's in the room and maybe after the first goal of 50 seconds in in game five, he saw everybody put their shoulders down. And maybe after the first period, down one nothing, he walked in and he saw everybody with their head down. I, I don't know that. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, you know, even if that was the case, would you would you be angry at them? Or would it be your job as a coach to be like, hey, let's go and 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 get them going, right? So, uh, again, love Rick Bonus and everything that he's done. I just felt like this was not aligning with my views on it. So, Marty, let me just ask you this, you know, Let's assume that this is a culmination of months of frustration from Rick Bonus, because it's not just one game, obviously. You can you saw, I mean, you heard, we've talked about it with you on the program yeah. before, as he was getting frustrated when the Jets were one of the worst teams in the league for that two-month stretch, you know, after uh, mid-January until the end of March. You know, if it's the culmination of all that, you know, and the pent-up frustration, can you understand the reaction a little bit more in that context? Yeah, I can, just like I can understand how 
and and we have a joke. Me and Brian Duff in Buffalo right now. We do our show and we laugh at at teams' fake toughness, right? At the end of games, like last night, Florida, Boston. There's fake toughness going on everywhere. And I said to Duff, I said, "Yeah, but I'll tell you this: when I was on the ice, and if we were in a playoff game, and all of a sudden we're losing, and there's a little shot or whatever, I'm I'm mad. I'm angry. I want to." like chop heads down right and i'm like and and maybe you call it fake toughness but that's me in that space on the ice and wanting to say you're not gonna push me around next game or whatnot but from the outside it's like why why are you guys doing this like just go to your bench grab some water take a shower go home get ready for na next game um so yeah so i can understand that that frustration for rick bonus has been building up and i can understand how in that moment You come out and you 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 want to be honest and you want to you know just lay your heart down and 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 be candid and so I do get that, but again I I always say that you have you know people that are trained to train you in that and when I was with the New York Rangers we used to have media training all the time what what media tried to do and what sometimes players or athletes try to do and how to stay on the same road and how to stay consistent and how to to have your message did i like when rick bonus this year was like they need to hear the head coach absolutely right there was a practice this this year in february where like you were pretty vocal this today yeah they needed to hear the head coach i love that because that is a fact like the team's not going well and the head coach needs to grab the reins and that's a fact um i even liked it this year when He said, our guys think that they're giving everything they've got. That's not even close. Okay, yeah, because I saw it. That was a fact. I just think that emotions got put in front of facts in this in this playoff series against Vegas. And then you get, you know, a, a, a bit of a, a bad message uh, from the head coach. And, and Marty, I try to stay, you know, emotionally detached from the Jets. And you're definitely going to get fake toughness from Dave M and I. But it's Drew, it's real toughness. I mean, you don't want to mess with that guy. I, I don't think people know how many push-ups he can really do. But I, I think you're absolutely right, Marty. Like, there's no doubt that that, that was as emotional of a response that you're ever going to get from Rick Bonus. And I wanted to ask you about Connor Hellebuck, who obviously, you know, wasn't the reason why the Jets lost the series. They, they, they were The Jets were badly outplayed by the Golden Knights. You know, plain, plain and simple. Nobody is going to be blaming Connor Hellebuck. The Jets arguably don't get to the playoffs without Connor Hellebuck. But we've been talking about the Jets' end of season media availabilities, and I'm not sure if you've seen any of the comments this morning. But you know, there's been some players that have spoken: Kyle Connor, uh, Hellebuck, and you know, Hellebuck. And uh, of course, players never want to hear the term rebuild. And the question I wanted to ask you, as a former goaltender, but also uh, you know, as an analyst now, uh, you know, how hard is that for a guy like Connor Hellebuck, and and how do you If you're, you know, when you're talking about the Jets ownership, Jets management, whether it's Kevin Shevel Dayoff or another general manager, how do you weigh that? Because Hellebuck's got one year left on his contract. He's a top five, maybe top three goalie yeah. in the NHL. He clearly, you know, doesn't want to go through too many lean years, but it's quite possible that the Jets are going to have to go through some lean years, similar to, you know, what the New York Rangers had to go through. Now they're back, you know, where they want to be. Obviously having some, you know, first overall picks helped, second overall picks helped. Um, but how do you see that situation? Because Hellebuck is the big unknown right now. And, and there are a lot of Jets fans, speaking of emotions, who are pretty emotional right now. And a lot of Jets fans are talking about, you know, trading Hellebuck, which to me 
is absolutely absurd because this is your franchise goalie. And I'm not saying that, you know, give him eight years, you know, $12 million a year. I'm just saying to me, it's it's crazy talk to, to start talking about trading Connor Hellebuck. Well, the reason why it's a little bit of crazy talk right now is because what is your succession plan, right? When when the New York Rangers were talking about we need to rebuild, they had a guy named Igor Shosturkin, which they already knew. They're like, hey, this guy's going to be pretty good, right? Uh, they had Alexander Georgiev, which was like, hey, this guy is pretty good right now. So they're like, hey, we can we can probably move on from Hank and and rebuild. And, you know, they, they traded McDonough away. They traded... Uh, um, I think they bought out Ryan Callahan. They 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 had done some some things moving to that, but they also knew. Look, we have a, a guy like Adam Fox, and we have a guy like Keandre Miller, and you know we, they went ahead and and signed uh, Artemi Panarin, and so they they really quickly moved into the the rebuild retool type of phase. But they had a succession plan um, with Winnipeg. The big thing right now, and I'm looking at their page on Cap Friendly is, okay, so where do you go? Because you have Wheeler, Shifley, Niederreiter. Um, you got Brendan Dillon, Dillon DeMillo, and Connor Hellebuck, all UFA in a year and a, in a year from now, like next summer, right after mm -hmm. next season. And you obviously got other players like Dubois, who's an RFA this summer that you have to deal with. So my thinking is, how do you evaluate your value right now, the value of those players, because when will the value, the value be at its best? And it's hard to do. Is it at its best now? Is it at its best in February next year at the trade deadline? Is it at its best for you to say, we got to keep these guys and give them one more kick at the can and, and see where we are. Like you've got to evaluate that value right now. And unfortunately for the jets, the last what do we say, like four or five years, it's been, they're going to be a Stanley Cup can, like a, a team, right? They're going to be a team that can compete for the Cup. They, and it hasn't happened. So this is going to be a big job this summer, obviously trying to evaluate. Um, I would, look, that's me from the outside. I would really look and see how can you maximize the return and how can you do it this summer? That would be me. Um, I'm not saying that's the way to go. But I've seen what, let's see, for example, in Buffalo, what they were able to do. They, they, they almost hung on to Ristolainen and Sam Reinhardt and Jack Eichel to a certain extent too long. It almost got to the point where it was like, oh, are we going to be able to move these guys? And we almost, but they, they locked out. They locked out because Philly really liked Ristolainen and they got something from them. Um, and they ended up with, you know, Devin Levi and a first round pick, which was Yuri Kulik. Um, when they traded Reinhardt to, to Florida, which they locked out, and the deal with Vegas for Eichel, uh, they got Alex Tuck, they got Peyton Krebs, they you know it, they locked out. I feel like you got to be lucky, but they almost hung on too long. Um, so is that what Winnipeg is is facing right now? Is when to pull the trigger? And I I would think for me this summer would be the trigger. You have to uh, to probably restart and and. And Connor Hellebuck may have to stay another little bit because goalies in the summertime, it's hard. I'm, I almost feel like for Connor Hellebuck, the best market would be prior to the trade deadline next year. Who wants a goalie, right? We have Connor Hellebuck right here. Um, <laughs> but the, the summer may be a little bit tougher. 
Marty Biron, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Saturday morning. We're talking about the Winnipeg Jets. Exit interviews continuing. Those will be available on IllegalCurve.com all throughout today. You know, Marty, it's going to be a long summer, a real long summer, and some Jets players are going to play in the World Championship and get a chance to uh, make it a little shorter. But there's going to be a lot of time and distance between the end of this season and the start of training camp next year. Yep. Is that enough time for this to be healed with Rick Bonus and the players? Because, you know, like you said, it's fiery. And regardless of which take you, you, which side you're on, whether you think it's good or bad, is there enough time for this group? And however it's going to look, we know the Jets aren't going to look the same next year as they were this year. But with, with the group of, you're obviously not trading away the entirety of the team. Yeah. So the majority of the team will be back. Will it be okay? Can you kind of rectify things with Rick Bonus? after an entire summer and get things back to him being able to be the coach of this mostly same group. So if it was me, I would say, yes, look, I've said things that I'm like, Oh boy, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. Or, you know, we all make mistakes or whatever. So I would say, yeah, I, I mean, I would think that it can be done. Uh, but then you read a quote like uh, Blake Wheeler this morning saying, I wish you would have talked to us first. I would have, but okay. So, I totally get that point, but okay, Blake, did you go and talk to uh, Rick Bonus, and did you guys have that conversation, right? Like I always find in hockey, especially, but mostly in life, mm -hmm. if you're avoiding the conversations, nothing gets done. If you are hitting the conversation straight on, it gets figured out one way or the other. But you're not sitting in this in between. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it could be either side and whatever. No, either it goes and moves forward or either it doesn't. But you know what to expect. So I, I would think there's enough time. But once again, that's if I look at just this situation. If I look at February and last summer and two summers ago and I put them all in the blender and I press start, I'm not sure I got enough juice in the blender to be able to blend it all up, right? To make something out of it. I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of baggage, you know, from taking the sea off wheeler, from, you know, coming in and really um, trying to change things around, uh, from the Paul Maurice exit last year, from like, there's so much. So if it was just Rick Bonus coming in and saying, I'm disgusted. I'm disappointed. I'm disgusted or whatever. And that was a standalone incident. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you get over that easily, but if you, are you getting over all that baggage that's happened the last few years? That's a tough one. Marty, last question for you. It has to do with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, you know, he has not been uh, willing to make a long-term commitment to Winnipeg, as is certainly his right as a guy who's a couple years away from UFA status. Given his performance in this series, particularly after game one, where by and large he sort of shrunk from the moment in my estimation, you know, not the first time we've seen Pierre-Luc Dubois' effort be criticized given how he exited in Columbus as well. What are your thoughts on Pierre-Luc Dubois? What are your thoughts on the value of Pierre-Luc Dubois? What are your thoughts on Pierre-Luc Dubois as the driving force on an NHL team? I mean, I really like Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's 24 years old. Let's let's remember that. Like, I mean, we all want him to be this 28, 29-year-old veteran that knows how to handle everything. He's 24. So has he mishandled some things in his young career? Absolutely. And I'm not saying he's done all of it right. And he's not done all of it wrong either. 
He's a really good hockey player. Um, he has a qualifying offer at $6 million. You know, if the Jets want to say, like everybody else, we have another year to kind of figure it out, you could easily sign Pierre-Luc Dubois to a qualifying offer and take your chance. And then, well, you know what? He walks out as a UFA and you're, uh, you know, you put yourself in that situation or you trade him. Again, it's about evaluating the value of what Dubois is at this moment and what he would be to another team. But I always, I mean, I try to think to myself at 24 and what, what, um, lessons I still needed to learn and what, uh, where I was in my hockey career. And look, players this year are totally different, but I think on the human side, there's still that aspect of, of having to deal with millions of dollars and the pressure and the trades and the expectations, um, that I don't think he's, he's fully mastered yet, but he had a pretty good season and he's still up to me, a 70 point guy, probably maybe even an 80 point guy. If everything falls into place, I mean, again, he can keep getting better. Um, but that's another one of those hard conversations you got to have in the summer. Marty, one more quick question I have to ask you, just because, you know, you're our goalie guru, and I wouldn't be able to continue on with my weekend if I didn't ask you about Akira Schmidt. And don't hold this against me. I'm a Devils fan. Obviously, you know, Marty Brodeur, and there's a couple of goaltenders named Marty that 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 I'm a huge fan of, obviously you being the other one. But, I mean, I have to ask you about Akira Schmidt. He's allowed two goals in three games, 22-year-old goaltender from Switzerland. And I know that, you know, Drew's going to get upset that I didn't keep this a completely jet segment with you. But just <laughs> what has stood out to you? Because to me, this is incredible. The Rangers are up 2-0. You, you mentioned Igor Shosturkin earlier. And then Akira Schmidt comes in for Vitek Vanacek. And as I mentioned, you know, only allows two goals in three games. The Devils obviously, you know, have now have, now have a 3-2 series lead. We, we probably could have done a, a whole segment on goalies around the National Hockey League in the playoffs, right? Lena Solmark, and what are you doing game seven? He looks hurt and, and he's not played great. Uh, but Akir Schmidt is, is a great story. Um, he was really good in the regular season. I think Lindy Ruff and the New Jersey Devils got to see what he could do. He's a tall goaltender. He reads the play well. He plays inside his crease. Um, he doesn't get beat through his body often. Uh, with is something Vitek Vanacek could be a little bit of a loose cannon and that didn't work. Right. But you have to understand and know Lindy Ruff and is, is um, I don't want to say his favoritism sometimes for younger goaltenders and, and, you know, like making those bold statements. But I remember when I got my first taste of the NHL really as a full time, I got called up and right in front of the whole team, Lindy said, Dominic Kashuk's not playing good enough. I'm playing the kid tonight, right, against Carolina. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I'm being favored over Dominic Kashuk. Well, that lasted 24 hours. But still, right, like that was that was this. And then look at 0506. We start the season, and Lindy's like, let's see what Ryan Miller's got. Marty's our veteran, and he's our number one goaltender, but let's see what Ryan Miller's got. And then, you know, Ryan Miller took off, and we ended up all, all the way to the conference finals. Um, I think... Lindy Roth loves to put a challenge in front of younger players. And that's why he was such a good coach for me for that team, the Jack Hughes and the, you know, Dawson Mercer and all of these guys. Right. So, um, and now we found a goaltender again that he's like, I'm just going to give it a go. I think he's got more upside. Let's see what happens. And he struck gold again. So uh, I think this is uh, again, as Schmidt is playing good, but Lindy Roth's willingness to try it is something that he's done before. 
always insightful, always opinionated. Marty B. Ron is one of our favorites. Marty, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll do it again real soon. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Thanks, Marty. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Yep. There he goes, Marty Biron, joining us this morning on the illegal. Well, I had to ask him about Schmidt. I, I mean, know I'm you just did. Looking, looking at his numbers, boys, like three games, three and zero, oh, nine seventy six save percentage. His goals against average, it's actually absurd. It's zero point six three, and that's in three full games. Like I realize this is the the Ginsburg Devils minute here, but uh, you know I just think it's incredible what he's doing. It's kind of like reminds you of like Jean Sebastian Jaguer back in in two thousand three, or just some of these you know, goaltending runs, Dave, that have come out of, I mean, don't get me wrong. The Devils are going to lose the next two games and get beat <laughs> in seven games just because that's probably what's going to happen. But I think that, you know, just the fact that a 22 year old goaltender who was the third string goaltender, I just think is, is pretty awesome. I mean, you got Brassois in Vegas kind of doing the same thing. I just has to, had to ask Marty about uh, Schmidt. It's definitely a good story. We go to break for the final time this morning when we come back. More on the exit interviews and, of course, the Moose lay an egg in their home playoff opener. We'll talk about that, but the ice were victorious last night. One final segment to come. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live Saturday morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Saturday morning. We're live on our YouTube channel. In case you missed any of the program, the immediate replay will be available, of course, on YouTube. And the podcast will be available shortly thereafter. While you're at it, smash the like button on the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us feedback, particularly on our iTunes page. We always love to hear what you good folks have to say. I just got a text from my dad, a.k.a. Professor John Ginsburg, a.k.a. Grandpa's saying, great show today, especially Marty Biron, who I've always loved. So, I mean, I, I echo what my dad said. We've had Marty. I mean, how many times would you say we've had Marty on, Drew? Like, maybe 50 times. Like, honestly, I'm not joking. He's probably been, you know, one of our uh, most frequent guests over the years. He always brings it. Um, we're, we're super lucky to have him on. Obviously, you know, jumps on the TSN broadcast along with Craig Button. Dave mentioned Frankie Corrado and, and others. But just had to ask him about Akira Schmidt because I think he's been one of the best stories so far in the playoffs. You've mentioned that a few times now. I think are you getting some sort? Of, do you have do you own stock in Akira Schmidt or something? Do you get no? Do you get I like a bonus every stock. time you own, mention his name? No, I just own stock in being a Devils fan. Okay, fair enough. I can accept that. Uh, all the media availabilities will be available on illegalcurve.com throughout the day. Uh, my understanding, Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon speaking now. We missed Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton, uh, courtesy of our buddy Scott Billick. Are they bringing uh, back Lowry. like Andrew Ladd? Like how many how many Jets players are going to speak today? I don't think Dave can keep up with this pace. Dave is Dave is a machine. He can definitely keep up with the space. I don't feel I don't have any doubts about that whatsoever. Adam Lowry says that he doesn't feel that Rick Bonus's post-game comments were necessarily accurate. He says that he will talk to Rick Bonus and see where those comments are coming from. Adam Lowry didn't think communication was an issue with Rick Bonus but said if Bonus has felt this way since January, they could have approached it differently. So, I mean, it continues this theme of the coach. I'm sure that Rick Bonus feels as though he was expressing one thing, but it sounds like the players weren't hearing that one thing and maybe were hearing something completely different. So at some point in time over the last three, four months, the train has been derailed, and if these if everybody was pulling in the same direction for a while, they certainly stopped pulling together and instead seem to be uh, opposing forces. 
Uh, and that is something that certainly is an issue uh, for this Winnipeg Jets team going forward, Dave. Yeah, no, they're going to have to figure out how everyone can get on the same page because you're right, Drew. And But, I mean, the problem is how many times have we heard that? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with that. How many coaches does this group get to say, well, you know, it's not really something. It's like, okay, well, Paul Marie's fine. Dave Lowry, fine. Now it's Rick Bonus, fine. And And don't get me wrong. Longevity doesn't equate to having all the answers. Just because you've managed to survive doesn't make you infallible. So I, I again, Hold I don't then, ever. Then what are we after fourteen years, Dave? <laughs> we're the cockroach. That's we're, 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 the, I was say, we're the exception to the rule, Ezzy. But uh, yeah, we're we're definitely uh, a bit of an anomaly, I would suspect. But I mean, look, I, I just think that it, it, you know the group. We often say you can't trade the entire team, but you can make some changes substantively with some small precision moves. And I think that's what this is going to require. It's not going to require blowing it all up and getting rid of absolutely everyone because it's not realistic. You just don't do that. You know, you're not, again, you need players. You ultimately, you need bodies. You don't just, and, and you know, Drew mentioned this and it's true. It's a business. Who wants to spend $300 for a, a, an evening to watch essentially a glorified AHL club. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, and that's part of the reality of this, environment so it's not it's not as simple it's not i mean so kevin shuffled off when he says it's not fantasy hockey he's not wrong there are a lot of factors that come into play when you're evaluating how you're going to move forward now the fan base it's not fantasy to- hockey but he might be living in a fantasy if he thinks the jets are one or two pieces away from well, winning the stanley cup and that's what i mentioned during the first hour dave like yeah that to me is the most dangerous thing that like drew has mentioned this i'll give drew credit so many times he has said this like you do not want to be a team that gets knocked out in the first round every year. Well, what have right. the Jets been? They've been a team that gets knocked out in the first round every year, with the exception, I guess, of the bubble when that was the second round. But okay, so they got to the second round but got swept. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you were knocked out in the first round, really, if you think about it, right? So I think that's what you don't want to be, Dave. And, and we know that the Jets have struggled to attract high-end free agents. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that you know you're going to give up and already you know wave the white towel and say that you know you're not going to make the playoffs next year. But you have to be realistic. And that's what I think, going back to what Rick Bonus said, and Cam Poitras, who we just had on not too long ago, mentioned this. Like, most Jets fans were happy to hear Rick Bonus say that because sometimes you need to hear reality. It's like when I was, you know, out of university for a few years and I needed my dad to give me a kick in the butt and say, okay, like, what are you doing with your life here? Like, I know you like to deliver pizza and have a good time, but it's time to figure out what you're going to do with your life, honestly. So sometimes hearing the truth hurts. And I think some of the Jets aren't don't like to hear the truth. Have you figured it out yet? No. <laughs> but you know, and, and, and you know, I want to address the idea that it's hard. You know, look, Edmonton is no different than Winnipeg, really, realistically. And Edmonton, but the difference is city-wise, you mean? Yeah, essentially. But Edmonton yeah. has what Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, and so you have a chance to with those two. Oh, and, players, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who quietly had a hundred points. Absolutely, and. And, and Zach Hyman, who's a, but I'm saying that Vander Kane went there, Vander Kane, Mr. You know, I don't love Winnipeg. Well, Edmonton's not that much of a significant change from Winnipeg. And yet he signed there because, well, one, it was probably his last chance, but two, mm-hmm. because he saw an opportunity. And, and I'm just saying that I look, look at what Matthias Holmes talked about with his, how he and his wife were excited to go to, you can find guys, you can find and, and winning, breeding a winning culture changes the narrative, right? I mean, and everyone wanted to, you know, Dump. I mean, Dreger said it yesterday on his Ray and Dreg thing with um, with Ray Ferraro. I mean, these guys all signed here. All these American guys 
and European guys signed in Winnipeg long-term because they believed in the system. So you can, and, and eventually again, we know it's kind of like the city grows on you and you can find things. And if you're a guy like Dustin Bufflin or Kyle Connor and you like, or Mar, uh, say Connor Hellebuck, sorry, and you like the outside, there's lots of things to do outdoors, even when it's minus 30 out. So it's not as if it's not an impossibility, but you have to have the vision and you have to have not the appearance of chaos, which is right now what this organization is, is, is trading it. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest concern. So you can say, oh, people don't want to come to Winnipeg. Well, first of all, and we've talked about this, but I'll just say it again. Not everybody in the NHL has a no-trade cause. So we're talking about the minority. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, if a team of Meyer doesn't want to come to Winnipeg, well, that's fine. But, at the, you know, there are other guys. You can win with guys who don't have no no-trade clause, no move. Also, also, sorry, Dave, Spencey's right. Like, you know, guys also like getting paid millions of dollars. So, I mean, I think Nino Niederreiter is happy to, to make $4 million in Winnipeg next year. Yeah, and I, I guess what I'm saying, so I, I don't, I don't I, look, I do I think it's it's more of a difficulty to sign someone in Winnipeg than there would be in Anaheim? For sure. I, I'm not, I'm not again, as he says, the truth sometimes hurts. That is the reality of being able to be, think about how much nicer it's been, I, like just right now, and it's still, obviously it hasn't been great, walking to the rink without a jacket. You know, I mean, without being freezing, without the wind hitting you in the face. But ultimately, this is a market that cares. You get, as you just said, as he paid millions of dollars. And if you can be on a team that can win a championship, then who gives a shit about everything else? Because you can always take vacations with your millions of dollars and go to the Bahamas like Drew does. Or you can go and buy yourself a fancy car. I there too. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it's not a problem in that regard. But I just think that it's, it's all about the culture. It's about building a culture of winning. And when the Jets were winning... Nobody was really talking about Winnipeg being a hard place to go because you're signing your guys. That's just getting the thing. When Winnipeg term. was in first place in the Central, how many people were talking about how nobody wants to come to Winnipeg? Nobody that's wants a, to that's go. That's such a tired narrative. Nobody like, wants yes, to go. you can't compare Winnipeg to Vegas. You can't pair, compare Winnipeg to Florida where there's no state taxes. Like, I'm tired of hearing that crap. Nobody wants to go to dysfunction. That's what it boils down exactly. to. Nobody wants to go to dysfunction no matter where that dysfunction is located. Now, when that dysfunction is located in Winnipeg, and I think that's a word you can use right now with, uh, you know, and feel confident using it, nobody is going to go there, you know, in addition to all the other uh, weather-related, Canadian-related challenges that it experiences. You want to build a culture, you want to build an organization, people will go to that one if it is the right culture and the right organization. But these guys around the NHL know, because players talk like nobody's business. And like it's high school. It is like it's high school. They know what is a good organization right now, and they know what's not a great organization. And right now, the Winnipeg Jets definitely fall into the category of an organization that you wouldn't necessarily run to when you when you have options at your disposal and i think a lot of that has to do though with the lack of vision as you talked about after the game five loss right like i think that has more to do with it as opposed to look at 2017 2018 i think like when paul stastny you know waved his no move clause to come here Mm -hmm. like dave's right like why did people want to go to Detroit? In 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 addition to the fact that D- Detroit is a great town, great people, it's because the Red Wings won year after year. Stanley Cup playoffs year after year. Stevie Eiserman, Kenny Holland. That's why people want to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you of the culture. And I'm not saying that the Jets have had a bad culture for 12 years, but certainly the last two or three years, there have been some issues in that dressing room. No question about it. Final word on this morning's program 
goes to Mr. Manuk. Put on your antlers. It's time for the Manuk Moose Minute on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Manuk. I didn't know what why I was getting the last word. I thought we were just going to wrap it all up, especially like the Moose. They seem to wrap it all up fairly quickly in yesterday's first playoff game. A bit of a, a, a gap in between the end of the regular season, 12 days to be precise, and game one of the playoffs. Yesterday, of course, as everyone knows, the Jets had uh, Arvid Holm and Oscar Salmon and up with them, and they flew back. I think they landed around 3.30, 4 o'clock. So Arvid Holm was the backup to Evan Cormier, who has been practicing with the Jets. He played with the Moose, sorry, played a couple of games. He was signed, of course, by the Jets. My my assumption was actually that he was going to be the third goaltender, but the Jets, the Moose decided to send Oscar Salmon and get him some practice up with the big club and give Evan Cormier, who was very good, 8-3-3 last year and would have probably replaced Mikel Burden had he not got injured prior to the playoffs getting started against Milwaukee Admirals. But he didn't, but yesterday he did get the start against those same Milwaukee Admirals, although as Ezzy would call them, they're basically the Nashville Predators or Nashville Admirals because 90% of that team has NHL experience and a lot of their guys were up with the Nashville Predators. So if you watch the Jets-Predators game, you might have felt that same way watching last night's game. The Jets chose not to, as far as I know, and until they've changed their minds. And I don't know if it's because of injury or for whatever reason. I think the player has some say. Actually, Austin Fielby, who was eligible, he was not reassigned. So we'll see. Maybe Kevin Sheveldayoff will have a word on that. But the two goaltenders were. So right now there's a, a lot of goaltenders down with the Moose. But ultimately, the you know Evan Cormier didn't have a great start. Some of the goals were good. I mean, the gap. Uh, the power play goal of Zach Sanford, former Jets 2.0 legend. Zach Sanford, he got the <laughs> second goal of the game for uh, for uh, Milwaukee, who has an excellent power play. And then they scored a third goal on their seventh shot. And that was all for Evan Cormier. And then Arvid Holm came in. He made a couple of nice saves to start. But then he had his the, the fifth and sixth goals against were what I would classify as stinkers. And it was uh, six, basically a, a, a game was almost over. Jansen Harkins actually brought the moose within, one, within two early in the second. So they may have made a bit of a push on a nice pass for Dominic Connato to make it a 3-1 game. But then again, the power play, uh, they had to go to the power play. Milwaukee has, I think, the best power play in the AHL. And so then they had a five on three. And as he, I don't know if you saw my tweet, but you would have gone nuts because Arvid Holm was called for tripping. But it was very unusual because he's down. He smacks the puck out of the way. Then he's on the ice. The, play, the Admiral's player trips over him. But because I guess he was in the white paint and not the blue, they called him for tripping. So that put Shades them on. Shades of Mark Shifley and Lauren Brassois, right? Yeah, exactly. And then Simon Lundmark made the, a nice save to keep it a, a two-goal deficit. But the Milwaukee Admirals would eventually score and make it 4-1. Then it was 5-1. Then it was 6-1. And then D- Daniel Torgerson, the 2022nd, is he a 2022nd rounder? Yeah. Um, yeah, Daniel Torgerson took a shot from center ice. Very Pavlekian and uh, Yaroslav Askarov led it in. So suddenly it was 6-2. But, and the Moose had a great third period. But, of course, Milwaukee pulled back, protecting a four-goal lead. So uh, they outshot them. I think it was 17-4 to in the final frame. Uh, probably the most notable thing, and something I've reported on IllegalCurve.com, was that 2021 second rounder by the Jets, uh, Nikita Chibrikov, is in Winnipeg. Uh, so he is here. Uh, he is still under contract with the KHL till the end of April. So he wouldn't be able to sign a contract with the Jets slash Moose until May 1st. He hasn't played in a while, so I'm not anticipating that he's going to play any games necessarily with the Manitoba Moose. I, I suspect you're more likely to see Danny Zilkin 
play a game, the 2021 third rounder, than you would to see Chibrikov. But good to see that he's here in Winnipeg. I suspect he'll spend his summer here training and then get an opportunity to make to do some damage, uh, whether it's with the Moose or the Jets uh, next year. Uh, you know, uh, to start to start his time here in North America. So that was the, probably the biggest nugget from uh, from yesterday was that. The only you can only find on a little site called illegalcurve.com was that Nikita Chibrikov is here uh, in Winnipeg. There you go. Some people excited about that news. C-Mac and, of course, Rob Mahoney as well. All the latest on the Moose playoff run. All the latest on the Ice playoff run. The Ice winning 3-0 last night in Game 1 of their Eastern Conference Final. Uh, that is all available on IllegalCurve.com, as well as all the end-of-season Winnipeg Jets availabilities. Those are going to be available. I'm starting on- already. I'm starting already, but I didn't want to put them up because I don't want people going and watching video oh, when they should be listening. Watch- to us exactly but, but, right but connor hellebuck and blake wheeler are uh up already so we'll have some uh well I'll, I'll as soon as we're done this show i'm going to be getting them all up there you go dave i'm going to be doing the yeoman's work as he always does on this saturday morning we want to say a big thank you to the sponsors of illegal curve who made the post-game show the saturday show and the website uh possibility our friends at rumors restaurant and comedy club linden market dental center zapia group realty Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, Grid Park, and The Keg support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve Hockey. We'll be back next Saturday at 9 a.m. We might pop up during the week if events warrant it, so stay tuned. Pop-up show? Well, we'll see. Stay tuned. Keep it locked to all of our social media channels for news about that. The website, that is your destination, of course, IllegalCurve.com. They are, you know, we keep you abreast of everything going on with the Winnipeg Jets. We'll do that all day today and all week and weekend long. Big thanks to Cam Poitras. Thanks to Marty B. Ron for joining us. Big thanks to all of you for joining us. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, leave us feedback here, there, and everywhere, and tell your friends the best place to be each and every Saturday morning is here on the Illegal Curve YouTube channel. For Dave Manouk, for Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. If it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.